Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Directors Club Podcast. I'm Patrick Rapol. I'm Jim Laskowski, and uh, today we have another great guest lined up for you all. And uh, we're really excited to talk to Eric Childress of eFilmCritic.com. Hey, Eric. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Um, so is, is it just mainly eFilmCritic.com that you write for now, or...? Uh, for the writing part, yeah, I'm sort mm-hmm. of kind of scheduled to be doing some stuff for movies.com around award season. Oh, That's great. where most of the cinematical crowd kind of, you know, moved over to there after the HuffPo incident and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be writing some award stuff for them, but the most of the reviews you can find at eFilm Critic. Right. Yeah. Um, you made a lot of appearances on WGN Radio, which is when I first heard you way back in... Uh, 2000 because it's crazy I, isn't yeah it? it is crazy you were probably talking years. about that year you're probably talking about memento oh, oh nice segue. Oh, segue you know what you just lean forward on that thing you'll go forward because that is a segue yeah if it, was, right. if it was 2000 though we would be going back in time though wouldn't we yeah that was also the, that was also the year that i put waking life on my best list and you yeah put and waking i believe Li- we had an argument over that yeah wait that was a big one Memento yeah. is two thousand one. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was two thousand. IMDb says two thousand, so, but I'm. Well, I think it was says... made in two thousand, and then it per- actually hit theaters in two thousand one. I did played Sundance two thousand one. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think IMDb always lists like the earliest release date, and apparently yes. it played before it played at Sundance. It played the Venice Film Festival in Italy. There you go. Uh, two thousand. That's where the date comes from. Okay. Yeah, because it, it played, I think it opened in March, because it played Sundance in 2001, uh, and then <laughs> I think it opened in March uh, that, that around. That is correct. Three. Yeah, all right. But anyway. That uh, brings us to our, yeah, we're going to be talking about Christopher <laughs> Nolan, if yeah. you hadn't guessed. That was a, that, the segue looks worse now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's okay. I was really proud of myself, but no. No good. That's fine. Um, we can work that, we should just, you know, uh, record this episode backwards. And yeah. uh, start from you the go. end, you know, you and just go. work our way back. I was thinking about recording a podcast within their podcast. Ooh, I think that would be fun. Yeah, no, that'd be that for that'd be for the Charlie Kaufman episode. Save okay. it for that. All Ooh, right, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, have you ever done an audio commentary on a podcast? No, it would just be There's, too hard to listen to. Probably it would. It would be. You'd have to really put that the uh, main podcast low in the levels. So yeah, I don't know. Oh man, I I the only per- I, I I listen to John Carpenter do it because I listen to him do a commentary on anything or Kurt Russell. Yeah, well, yeah, them together or both <laughs> them together. Yes. Right. That that would be or Kurt Russell and uh, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale. The greatest commentary I've ever heard. Same here. Used, Used cars. cars. Yep. All right, I haven't heard that one. You should. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as anyway. good as good as the Carpenter Russell ones on the thing in Big Trouble are the the Used Cars one is just. I mean, you. I, I've seen that commentary more than the movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's my dad's favorite comedy of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and also Nick's, I believe, our uh, our colleague Nick DeGilio of WGN That's Radio. what he says. Yeah. Anyway, um, before we get into what we watched this week, I do want to announce the winner of our contest, our Amazon contest. We got quite a few emails in. Yeah. Um, Thanks, everybody, for all your... Uh, input it was very interesting to read everybody's different taste and feedback on the show uh-huh, and definitely we're going to be taking some of the you know suggestions you made for episodes you'd like to see mm-hmm. um you know coming into our second year yeah we should, we should call our two, 2012 that's our second season yeah i think oh yeah we started in january and uh 
I believe we'll probably be starting with uh, another filmmaker that we disagreed on in the past, Hal yeah. Hartley. Yeah, so yeah. I'm excited for January. <laughs> so anyway, our the winner of the uh, Amazon uh, uh, contest is Brian P. from Portage, Indiana. Congratulations, um, you win the entire Amazon yes, jungle, rainforest and all. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah... We'll, thir- we'll, what is it, $30 gift card? Yeah, we'll be sending you an email. Yeah, I, we'll send you an email with all the details. Congratulations, Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. And, yeah. and everyone else everybody. sent in that, you know, very helpful. So, but... We'll uh, do that again probably around Christmas time if we... If we oh, yeah. Can. Yeah. I like we, we, like to, we like to be generous around the holidays. Come on. We'll send you a copy of Jingle All the Way or something. This time we will add you to a mailing list, though, probably. <laughs> Really? Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. we could, and not our, and not could, our, not our mailing list. We'll, like, we could send you some spam, spam yeah, or uh, add you to the Jelly of the Month Club, right? You know. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's get into what we watched. This what week. we watched this week. What I'll go first. Go. Because um, I saw a movie that um, I was excited to see, based on all the all the all the good reviews, and um, uh, walking out of it, I thought it was good but not great, and that would be *Fright Night*, the uh, the remake, of course, with um, Colin Farrell and is it Anton Yelchin, I believe, is that the name? Yelkin. Yelchin. Yelkin. Okay. I think it's Yelkin. Yeah. Okay. Um. There were things I really liked about it. You know, it it obviously wanted to subvert a lot of expectations, and sometimes I felt that worked in in its favor. Well, I mean, I think particularly with how um, uh, Charlie's best friend... That's the thing, is like, again, I don't want to give too much away for those who haven't seen it. It's brand new, but at the same time, uh, the, you know, Charlie's friend, Evil Ed... um, the, the way they handle that character is very different, and I thought that aspect of the film worked very well because once you know something happens with this character in particular, I'm like, oh, okay, well they're really going to change things up here, and there are moments where I'm like, okay, I can I can totally go with it. Um, the the big problem I had is with the Peter Vincent character this time. I just was not nearly as engaged with. Um, I believe it's David Tennant, um, his take on, on the character of uh, Peter Vincent. I, th- I just didn't think he was as much fun as Roddy McDowell. I mean, to me, it was more like, like especially once you see him, his first appearance, it's more like a Russell Brand kind of caricature rather than, you know, McDowell's portrayal of Peter Vincent's like this broken down, low-rent, B-movie Sven Gulli of sorts. And I realize they, they can't do that in, you know, they can't really revise that for... For our age now, because there's no late late night movie hosts. Yeah, host. there's no late night there movie hosts, be. but you know, there's Chris Angel. <laughs> yeah. So that that was their approach to the character. I didn't quite like that as much. That's just a personal preference. Like maybe people, for the most part, can look past that change. Um, but again, like with most modern horror movies, some of the CGI was kind of weak, especially with the vampire stuff towards the end. I just didn't think the climax of the movie wasn't as quite as exciting as the original. Um, like I didn't feel like there were not enough stakes. I was pausing for laughter, but that was. A really... laughing at home. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty embarrassed right now. 
I can edit this out. No. Yeah. Um, no, I realize this is a completely we'll, different movie. We'll fix it but, in but, post. We'll, but, we'll sweeten it. But, like, the, there's, there's, the subtext is kind of removed in favor of oh, more really? action gimmicky kind of stuff. I mean, there's a That's really... That's, like, most of what I liked about the original. Yeah, and, and, I mean, there's some really good action set pieces, especially one involving, well, the beginning of it, it's given away in the trailer, the motorcycle crashing into the back of the car. Um, that whole thing plays out in a very children of men kind of fashion, the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really care for the club scene in this. I just didn't think it was as seductive or believable, really. But the one, the one thing I can definitely say is that Colin Farrell rocks in this movie. There's a scene where he's standing outside of the kitchen, and Charlie Brewster is completely freaked out by the conversation they're having. It's a very awkward, uncomfortable moment. Um, and I think there, there's obviously within that scene, there's some subtext there about you, you got to grow up and be a man and protect, you know, the people you love sort of, you know, that, that sort of message plays into Colin Farrell, um, overall, but towards the end, it sort of waned in interest for me, but I'm, I'm still willing to say it's worth a rental just to sort of compare the two, but I'm going to, I'd much rather watch the original. I thought it was a lot more fun. Did you, um, did you see Eric? See it, Eric? Yes, he did. Yeah, I did. And yeah, say? I liked it. I did. I don't. Uh, I know there are there people that uh, <coughs> think the that this one is better than the 1985 no. version, which I don't agree with. Um, but uh, and I and I thought this one it took. Uh, I think it t- it takes up until that scene that uh, Jim just described, where the, the sort of the smooth talk moment, yeah. where uh, Colin Farrell's you know trying to get in the house and trying to you know seduce seduce Charlie and letting him in. Uh, up to that point, it was, there, was, there was something very awkward about it because I wasn't ex- sort of expecting the way they were handling the the evil Ed and Charlie yeah. relationship. Uh, but I thought once it got going, uh, it, it really succeeded. And the one thing that I liked about uh, this particular version of the Peter Vincent character is that they they came up with a parallel between him and Charlie that they both sort of reinvented themselves to sort of escape their sort of their past. Which I thought was a really kind of interesting angle of, on it. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's a completely different take, like you said. It's, it is very Russell Brand and this sort of caricature at first, uh, but but I, but I thought he was very funny, and uh, and it's not as empathetic as the Ryan McDowell character yeah. was. I mean, he's really great in that movie. Uh, but all, and I, I ultimately I very much enjoyed the movie. Yeah, no, I did for the most part, but um, I was like. Yeah, I mean, just what, what you were saying with, with I, like, his his transformation, uh, Peter Vincent's transformation in this, um, didn't, I, I don't know, I didn't feel as invested into it as, as Roddy McDowell's character. Maybe just mm-hmm. because, like you said, there wasn't that level of empathy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I but I, I, there were things about it that I really, really liked, and I had pretty low expectations for this remake mm-hmm. in general, although I was hearing good buzz about it from you know screenings and stuff but still i i i there were things about i i liked enough to recommend it but i think some people were kind of praising it a little too much in my opinion i agree so, with that yeah but i real quickly there, i keep seeing the i i saw i saw a trailer before this and before i saw crazy stupid love and i just don't know why these kinds of movies are being made and that would be gary marshall's what the hell is happening to this guy? I mean, he's—I don't—he's never been a great filmmaker. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. why the fuck are there now? For what? First, there was Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. right? Was there? Yep. And then wasn't there another one? And now New no. Year's Eve. 
This is the, this is the follow up to Valentine's Day. Oh, okay. I th- for some reason, I thought like he's I'm, I'm just s- not that into you is a very similar movie. Oh yeah, like there's these really horrible but I Love Actually it, wannabes. Yeah, that's what I would yes. say. It, it started yeah. with the ho- with the horrible movie that is Love Actually. Oh, oh stop no, it's, 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 it's really it's, bad. No, movie. It's you're, you're no, so it's wrong. No, it's you're, you're dead wrong. Do you know what I like about you know what? Well, here's the thing about Love Actually that's so great is that you get to snooze for a lot of it because only about, like, three of the 17 stories are at all interesting. Yeah, yeah maybe, so, maybe you snooze during it. I put on my top ten list that year. Yeah. It's, oh, really? It's, it's, it's good. Yeah. It's damn oh, good. Yeah, it's so bad. Um, it's no, but I'm just I'm just tired of Gary Marshall's, like, just his... These types of romantic comedies and, like, the star power, I'm, I'm just done. I mean, we're probably going to get... You know, different holidays now, like how we, you know, we get the Hallmark cards and all that. We're well, probably going to get well, different movies that, every holiday. My hope holiday. is that this trend merges with. Remember the end of the '80s slasher movies? They all had to be based around different holidays, and eventually yeah. get we get one where all these young <laughs> lovers, are like Julia Roberts and like Scarlett Johansson and like Emma Blunt or Emily Blunt or something, they're all they're all they all get murdered by someone with an axe. We can only hope. Yeah, I'm just. I'm not leave Emily Blunt alone. <laughs> I'm just saying she's okay. I know, but for this movie to work, yeah. Well, I don't know if she's she's. I don't know if she's been in those, those types. Well, of she movies. she wasn't in Mount Valentine's Day. Right? I don't think so. I didn't I see Valentine's Day. I don't remember Day. her. In Valentine's I'm not going to see any of these movies. Okay, they just make me sick, and I'm tired of seeing the trailer for. Yeah. You know now what New Year's Eve or whatever. But right. anyway, just had to vent. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, Get it Patrick. Out, man. Yeah. What did What did you see, sir? Uh, Captain America. Oh yeah, the first Avenger, and this is actually the first Avenger movie that I saw. Yeah, I mean, I I saw Iron Man, but they that was before they started connecting all the movies. I didn't bother with Thor or with Incredible Hulk or Iron Man two mm-hmm. or any of that um, because I just I'm you know I'm tired of superhero movies. They're boring bore me. But I heard a lot of good things uh, about Captain America, and they're mostly true for the first half of the movie. Uh, I, that's all I keep hearing, and to me, that's like I'm. I'm probably going to wait to see it. Yeah, you know, no, I mean, fine. you absolutely don't need to see it in in theaters because I don't. None of the action scenes were spectacular. Um, but I'm kind of a fan of the Joe Johnston, though. I mean, oh, not yeah. like not like a diehard fan, but well, I think yeah, Eric, you always call you always say that he's like a, a solid three star director. Joe right? Joe three star Johnson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that for yeah. the most part. Mm-hmm. Well, I really because the first half is like really character driven, and it's. And it's really – and what I like about it is it doesn't – it's not at all trying to be cool. Um, there's absolutely no irony. Um, it's it's really earnest um, and patriotic and stuff like that. I mean there Is it are, like Ernest goes to jail this or is Ernest, Ernest goes to it's, camp? It's more like Ernest that's, goes to camp. That's two of them. Okay. It's more like Ernest goes to camp because there's some camp uh, value okay, good. to uh, some of the performances. Nice. But um, – like you can detect little things that you may like are obviously modern, like all of the uh, the the big team he assembles is like despite being the American army, it's like multicultural. Like there's an Asian guy mm-hmm. and a <laughs> like during World War Two, there's an Asian guy and there's a black guy and they're all on the same team and it's you know and and then there's like an English guy and it's I think I think uh, Vid Kid and Wheels from the Burger King Kids Club were there. Like, it's a great big multicultural kind of group of people and a few other modern touches. But for the most part, it really does feel like very old school, old fashioned. Um, all the characters, all the perf- uh, I mean, all the actors, I think, do a great job. Um, uh, Chris Evans is great. 
for the little bit he is in Stanley Tucci is really great. Who uh, you are a huge fan of. Well, I love Stanley Tucci. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's yeah. funny in this. Yeah. Um, and he actually, you know, and he, his, and what's interesting is despite his character being really small and existing pretty much only to give Captain America his powers, he actually has kind of an interesting backstory that, like, fits thematically with, you hmm. know, the, where, what he's, he, because he, he's a, he's someone who fled Germany after the Nazis rose to power. Um, and basically, the whole time uh, Tommy Lee Jones, the, the the big army general, is wants to get the big tough guy, the super soldier theor- uh, serum, um, while uh, Tucci feels that too much power, you know, too much is not as important as you know someone with a good heart. Be and and then you you know and then it goes back and it connects to well he saw the rise of the fascists and everything, so he wants to give this you know super strength to someone you know who has a you know good heart. What are you doing right now, Jim? Hmm. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, I'm just double checking on something. All right. I just want to make sure we're on time. All right. Um. Anyway, so like he has like kind of an interesting story despite being in it for maybe ten total minutes. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of really good laughs in it. Like there's part where uh, a little kid gets grabbed as a human shield, and then uh, the villain throws the kid in the water and runs away. And it's set up like, oh, does he save the kid or does he chase down the villain? And then the kid just immediately goes, I can swim. Go get him. <laughs> like, there's a couple little like funny bits like that that really killed the audience. Um, Hugo Weaving's a lot of fun as the Red Skull. Oh, it's yeah. I like I like that he's too evil for the Nazis. Like the movie mm-hmm. opens with the Nazis being like, all right, maybe you guys should just. And he's like, ah, fuck the Nazis. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like it very early on. It makes a point to separate itself from, you know, history. I think Kevin Bacon said that in. X-Men, too. Oh, yeah? yeah. I didn't see X-Men, though yeah. I heard sort of similar fun things about X-Men. But I think... If you can get past January Jones, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much fun, you know. But, uh, no, it's good. But then the second half, it's very truncated, where mm-hmm. it, it just becomes an action scene after action scene. And then, like, you see a ton of action scenes in a montage. Mm. Um, and then And then it's just him punching people. And I don't like any of that as much. I like the stuff where right. he's he's like the little scrawny guy and, you know, he's real scrappy and, you know, earnest and wants to do good and all that. It's, I thought that was all very fun and charming. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going to see the Avengers. I don't know. I don't really have any interest in it. Well, I'm a fan more of when comic book movies don't take themselves so seriously. And if you can be lightweight and fun and goofy and, you well, know. I, what I like about the, this new what to take seriously and what not to. This isn't mm-hmm. like this wasn't so light that it felt like a comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it took the character arc seriously. It took, uh, you know, the threat seriously. Uh, everything wasn't always played for laughs. It it wasn't like oh look at these like it wasn't a lot of jokes about buying war bonds. You know it was it wasn't ironic or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's like super lasers and a plane that dropped like a giant like uh, spruce goose size kind of. You know, know. Howard Hughes kind of uh, jet that dropped little plane bombs that had the cities they were attacking written on them. Like, oh, it's very silly. (laughs) It's like there are parts of it that were silly when it needed to be silly. You know, Toby Jones uh, is is kind of funny in it as this crazy scientist. And then there are parts of it that needed to take seriously. Everything out of Tommy Lee Jones mouth is great, despite the fact that his lines aren't necessarily good. He's just so fucking good. Right. So, yeah. I liked it. I enjoyed yeah, it. I, I, I'll definitely give it a watch. 
at some point when I it mean, comes out. I do out. find it disappointing that like all the best action scenes from this year came from like indie movies. Like I was a lot more excited by stuff from Attack the Block and Thirteen Assassins than yeah. anything I've seen from like a major, you know, yeah. studio movie. I feel like action scenes in those movies are so horribly shot nowadays. Yeah, you and I are in the same boat with Attack the Block as being the, one of the best examples of of good quality summer entertainment all yeah. around. Whereas Eric does not agree with that sentiment. Not at all. <laughs> are you like my girlfriend where you don't like that they were like muggers and stuff? No, that, that's not my my giant problem with the film. I you know, I I did not like any of the kid characters, that's for sure. Hmm. Uh, but I thought I mean when you're talking about like setting the standards, so to speak, for summer action and whatnot, you know, one one attack is just as Pretty much the same as the next attack when I was watching that movie, and I got tired really quick of that film and just got very indifferent to it about halfway through. Wow. Yeah, I felt nothing. I wasn't having fun with it. I mean, they don't—they barely use Nick Frost in the in the movie. Um, yeah, I just I sat there, and I—I I mean, I saw it at the very first screening at South by Southwest this year. So it's not like I'm reacting to the the praise for it. I mean, right, right. You know, you you put any you play any movie similar to that at South by Southwest, and the geek crowd is going to go apeshit over it. It's right. just the way sure. it is. Um, but I sat there and I'm just kind of like, whatever. You know, that's I've seen seen this movie before in various forms, and uh, this one did not impress me. <laughs> so there you go. Complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's Love fine. That. That's fine. Just don't tell me that Attack the Block is the best movie of the year. That's, no, that's no, no. I, I don't think attack. it's the best movie. Of the year. It's Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah, there are people. There are people out there that say it, though, man. I'm telling you, and those people I've, are. I've seen insane. some tweets. I've seen some tweets. Yeah. So, um, Eric, why don't you run down something that uh, we think we should look forward to here? That you well, seen. yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny that you know we're headed into September now, and this is normally it's always sort of a bridge month. You know, for movies like we get out of the summer and then we're, we're sort of, we're not quite into sort of Oscar bait season and movies that open in September kind of have Oscar hopes, but they're never quite as good as they the, the studios might think they are. We might be actually headed for like one of the best Septembers we've ever had. Yeah, as, it's as a movie. sure shaping up that way from what I can tell. Yeah, I mean, you could probably name some movies off the top of your head. You know, I mean, you, I mean, you talked about Drive last week, which I absolutely echo those sentiments. Um, you have fifty fifty later this month. You also talked about that last week, uh, which I think is a fine film. Uh, Soderbergh's Contagion comes out oh, next week. Yes. That uh, hint, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I expect and, that. Yeah. But the other movie that I'm hoping doesn't get too swallowed up by Contagion is this film called Warrior. Uh, that uh, was directed by Gavin O'Connor, who did uh, Miracle. The, Ooh, the, yeah. The, Damn okay. Good movie. And, and and Jim, this is this is a movie that I know is going to be right in your wheelhouse, particularly. Um, I don't know how where you stand on sports underdog type movies. Love them. Yep. I'm not even a big sports guy, you know, but I love soft spot for those movies, like The Rookie and stuff like that. Yeah, even yeah. even Rudy and I'm with Colin on Friday Night Lights. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. All those all those types of movies. And so you get so you got that movie combined with a father son story. Oh god. <laughs> okay. So Jim, I suspect the over <laughs> under on your cry list for this movie is going to be <laughs> six times. And I I speak as someone they I saw this back in March, 
at uh, the CinemaCon. It used to be called Show West out in Vegas, mm-hmm. where they uh, they uh, all the studios bring sort of the, like a demo reel, sort of speak, of for all the theater owners and whatnot. Uh, and they showed us they showed us two movies. The first one was Zookeeper. <laughs> yeah, nice. And uh, so I sat through that, and then the, the on the last day, uh, Lionsgate showed this movie Warrior, which has kind of been sitting around for for a little while. I don't know if they knew where they were going to position it, but I know it's been it's been done for a long time. And they they screened this movie, and I'm not joking when I say that I I, I welled up four times at different points during this movie. Oh man! And and, I, and for like six months, I've been sort of carrying this, this movie with me, wondering if. My reaction to it is because, like you, I also have a soft spot for sports underdog movies. They just they, they hit me in a certain way. Um, even some of the lesser ones, I you know I I kind of somewhat support. Uh, and then and then father son stories, and you you do bo- both of those things so well, and combine them into this this unbelievably co- cohesive whole. And you have this movie that you know for like six months I'm going I'm like, I wonder if people are going to love this as much as I did. Because I started texting and tweeting people right away. I'm like, I cannot believe how great this movie is. And it's, I mean, it's a father-son story. It's a brother's story about, you know, two brothers involved uh, with mixed martial arts, a sport I could not care less about, you know. Um, and, 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 I mean, you, the, the, I mean, the movie, it's about, I mean, it's, it's two brothers who, uh, for, for various reasons, one uh, uh, entered, entered the, the army, the other uh, became a family man. After Nick, Nick Nolte plays their father. The two brothers are played by Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. Uh, Joel Edgerton. Jo- yeah, what was Joel Edgerton from? He, well, he was in The Square. Did you see The Square? No. It's excellent. Yeah, yeah you, sh- you should see The Square. He's, he's got a small part in it. He's actually, and if you want to get geeky on it, he's actually uh, Uncle Owen in the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, I probably. Didn't. I probably so didn't. Is that too? Um, oh, he, he was in Animal Kingdom. If you saw that, yeah, that the first good. he's the first brother that gets cacked in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, so you so you got. The, I mean, it's, it's this brother story and Tom Hardy. I mean, is like serious movie star potential. He's you know, just was, fucking unbelievable. He I mean, really, and we see him in this movie, man. He, it is just he like Gosling and Drive. It, it's <sighs> there's a serious movie star force behind this performance yeah because um, I, I, i've i've loved gosling i mean geez i even i even liked him in murder by numbers you know like i think by numbers is a great movie yeah i, I really i remember it. yeah yeah and then I, I like it it's a good movie i just remember being so impressed by him way back even before he was a name and now right. the same is happening with tom hardy after i saw bronson i'm like i am mm-hmm. gonna see whatever this guy does because i'm yeah. excited for him yeah and this thing i mean like i said it's it's it you you, you kind of don't want to watch the trailer for this movie because when i saw the trailer that a month after they did it it's so they, they i mean they give so much away in in the movie mm-hmm. and even though you go into a movie like this sort of expecting all that stuff to happen this movie is so well put together that i'm, I'm not joking for the last hour of this movie when this sort of this big martial arts tournament is going on I had no idea who was actually going to make it out of there alive. Yeah, I, that's well, that was, what this thing is put together. That was going to be my big question because I have seen the trailer and uh, what it looked like. And obviously, you know, trailers—you know—they are trying to sell it to the broadest possible ob- audience. Mm-hmm. But the trailer made it seem like just every sports cliche possible, like thrown yeah. into one movie. 
It does. I, I know. The, the trailer kind of doesn't do the movie justice. Uh, tr- trust me when I say that this, this movie, while it, it, I mean, you can sort of have those cliches in your head and see them in there, but they, they dance around them in the most beautiful ways. And Nick Nolte is so freaking good in this thing that he's, he's pro- probably now guaranteed to get an Oscar nomination for this. Um, some people are going to say he's going to win, but I, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I stay back a little bit until you know, we got three more months here to four more yeah. months to, of movies to deal with. But uh, he's definitely going to be talked about as uh, a leading contender when this thing comes out. It's going to be uh, him and Albert Brooks. From the sound of it, I, I'm not. I'm still not even convinced on the Albert Brooks angle with Drive. I'm oh. not. People have asked, been asking me about that, and I said, "Well, you know, give it, give it time. I would, I would maybe have him on the long list. I definitely, I don't think I'd have him on the short list just yet because I think the perform the performance is definitely good, definitely menacing. But I think it's it's more sort of the 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 culmination of the actions that he does in the movie hmm. that people are going to remember more than the actual performance. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, you're just gonna think like, oh, it's Albert Brooks, and look, oh, he just killed a guy, kind of thing. Right. You know, it's, I, th- I, you know, I think people are elevating his performance a little more than they need to. Um, just, just playing against, just playing against Oscar. type and what you expect yeah. from Albert Brooks. Yeah, 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 but he's still, he's still kind of Albert Brooks. He's just, you know, he's just a really bad dude in the movie. Hmm. Um, but yeah, but Warrior, I'm really hoping that people find this, find this movie. And here's an interesting, interesting tidbit about it is that. The studio Lionsgate was so happy, apparently, with the early response they were hearing to this movie that they put out a sort of a blanket statement to all the critics out there saying, um, "Yeah, you got a review for this thing? Go ahead and run it." And I'm talking oh, four wow. weeks in advance of the movie. That's unprecedented. Yeah, you don't hear no, yeah. that. I know, sort of, you know, sometimes they'll let you know certain people say, "Okay, you can post here," or they got the quote whores in this angle and whatnot. But they put out a, I mean, a blanket statement saying, "Yeah, um, email everyone and say you can post whenever you want." Hmm. You know, that's how high they are in this movie, and I'm hoping the audiences find it because it's really one of the well, best movies. It of the certainly year. seems like the kind of movie audiences would find, you know, instead of I, I think Contagion has more of a risk of being lost than warrior warrior seems like a big crowd, you know, pleaser. Well, you got, you got the star power with contagion in That's warrior. The point, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, and so it's also a very easy movie to describe. I mean, it's, you know, viruses taking over the world and look at all the people in this cat or warrior, you know, other than Nick Nolte, people don't really know Tom Hardy or Joel Edgerton by name. So they're not going to have that. They just got to say, Oh, that's that mixed martial arts movie, you know, and that, and that's how people will probably describe it. And, if you describe it like that, would you want to see it? Probably well, not, not. Not me, but I think I think mainstream audiences would, because I think the big draw for Contagion for most people is Steven Soderbergh, and I think Tom Hardy is a bigger draw for more for mainstream audiences than Soderbergh. And I mean, who's in who's really? In Conti- yeah, I think so. Mainstream audiences. Like, I don't think mainstream audiences could pick Tom Hardy out in the lineup. I don't think they could pick a Soderbergh movie out of a lineup. And Soderbergh, yeah, but we're talking directors and actors here as two separate well, entities. At the same oh. time, you're talking you're talking about a horror, like a like in, uh, a virus thriller, and then you're talking about a you know a sports movie. I just I feel like Warrior. If it doesn't do well, then they fucked up the marketing somehow. Like I can't imagine this getting lost on people. Mixed yeah, I, martial arts I, I is hope huge. not. Mixed martial arts is huge. This type of movie is really big. If the reviews are good, um, and then the word of mouth is good, like I don't, I can't foresee this getting lost. 
Whereas I, I, I hope you're. I really hope you're right. It's just the the, the experiences. I mean, mar- market. You can, marketing can only take you so far. Yeah. You know, marketing. You know, will either get people to go opening weekend or they won't. And you got Contagion and Warrior going to be fighting out for spots. Um, you know, it just depends on how many people go to see movies next week. And I'd I'd be very surprised if Warrior overtook Contagion at least in the first weekend. I mean, I, yeah. I disagree, I disagree, but I mean, we'll see. Obviously, is uh, Warrior opening wide? Then yes. Okay. Oh yes. Good. Good. Is Contagion even opening wide though? Oh yeah, it's Warner Brothers. Of course it is. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought that I was. So. I thought that was his indie movie. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> Contagion is definitely not an indie. movie. I haven't really it heard has anything indie about indie sensibility it. to it, but it's not an indie movie. This is one of this is a this is a cash movie. Okay. Sort of, just like Haywire is going to be a cash movie. Right. All right. Well, well I got we'll a hell of a double feature to look forward to next weekend. Good yes. lord. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Go see, him, go see Contagion first, because that'll freak you out. It sounds like then, whoever wins, we win. You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's the anti-alien versus predator. Right. <laughs> <sighs> oh, that's great. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, like you said, this is. I'm incredibly excited to go to the movies the mm-hmm. next couple weeks. Good luck. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a good month. And, and we, I mean, we don't even, haven't even seen Moneyball yet, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we Money, got, Moneyball yeah. looks good. Mm-hmm. This, Brad Brad Pitt has hit this stride recently. I think mm-hmm. where like every movie he's doing, he's really good in it, and the movies are genuinely really good. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to that Ryan Gosling political movie with George Clooney. We'll see if that's any. It's got a killer yeah. cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, yeah. Well, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna try and see as many of these as we can and bring them up on the show as we record them. So yeah. we're excited. I think I think yeah. me and me and Jim are gonna try to make more of a point to see. Uh, when we're when we're both interested in a movie in theaters, we're going to see the same movie so we can talk about it. Yeah, because that worked really well with Tree of Life. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. excellent. Okay, guys, uh, why don't we? Um, we're, we're, we're making good time here, and uh, we're excited to uh, discuss our director of the episode now, Christopher Nolan. Born in 1970, Christopher Nolan started making films at a young age, dabbling in Super 8 shorts while growing up in both England and Chicago. He attended Halleberry and Imperial Service College and University College London, neither of which sound like real places, by the way, where he continued to make shorts. He broke out with the heady 2000 thriller, or actually 2001, as we discussed earlier, thriller, (laughs) Memento. I've told you this before, haven't I? What's the last thing... That you do remember. My wife. Dying. My wife deserves vengeance. Doesn't make any difference whether I know about it. Just because there are things I don't remember doesn't make my actions meaningless. Memento is a movie that doesn't need a lot of introduction. Uh, no. It's it's an incredible movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, well, we're going to spoil the hell out of it for you. So, yes. Uh, 
that's a warning that I've sort of put on Twitter mm-hmm. and on our website. Be prepared for right. that. We're spoiling um, the hell out of all But at the same time, Nolan. if you haven't seen it, you probably don't really like movies. Because that's one of those movies like Requiem for a Dream, where even people who like are kind of almost a little bit interested in movies, that's the art movie they go to. You know, that's their indie movie. Yeah. So, uh... This was a movie that the moment I walked out of, I said, this is probably my favorite movie of the year. And wow, who is this Christopher Nolan? And I can't wait to see what he what he does as a filmmaker because it it pretty much blew my mind when I saw it because I thought it, it, it touched upon a lot of themes and things that I find interesting in general. But aside from all that, it's a really fucking interesting mystery and the way things unfold in like, you know, in, in sort of a noir kind of style uh, really just appeals to me. Like he finds this amazing way to be intellectual, but still tell a really compelling piece of entertainment. Well, here, here's what I'm going to say. Um, and we'll, I think we'll get more into this with the prestige, but I think one of the key problems I have with some Nolan, Christopher Nolan movies is he makes movies about ideas and he's good at exploring these ideas. And he makes these beautiful like you know well shot and also just very captivating stories but the ideas in the story like that almost feels separate like there's one scene where he's talking about where where you're interested in the ideas being presented and then there's one scene i i mean i'd, I'd say the worst example is would be like inception where it's where but that's just it i love all the ideas that even even if it's just the characters saying this is what you do and this is what happens well, and it, blah, it blah, just blah. feels so separate from the story moving forward and that's the exact i think memento mm-hmm. is where those two things are the same thing i think they mesh together really well in the majority of his movies but uh anyway i think memento is just it's a perfect and and i know i mean they're they're wrong people claim that it's a gimmicky movie that oh it's a backwards and people you know it's it's a but it's not gimmick it's like it's really tied into the themes of mem- like oh, this isn't a story you could tell in, right in you know start to finish uh, way it, it no would not and work plus it just story. reflects the character's mentality well not only that it forces the audience to be in his shoes um, of yeah. course where you don't know what's coming up next and even and what's even more interesting is it. It challenges the audience's own memory because as you're watching scenes, you begin to forget how the last scene ended. Yeah. And you begin to be like, oh, wait a second. Where is this going again? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's and then you keep trying to remember what came before. But because you're not given a the kind of you know narrative that you're used to, you're right. struggling to keep all this information in your head, too. But it's not in a I'm confused. I'm lost way. It's it's in a. I'm trying to put these pieces together, and they're not quite coming together. But that's because it's not coming together for him. Exactly. And, and that, by non, the end, that the nonlinear end, structure really works in its favor. And, well, it, I mean, it's linear. It's just backwards. Well, yeah. Uh, but, but in the end, uh, in the end, it does all come together. And that's, I mean, he sticks the landing. If, if in the yeah. end there were questions that never got answered, I don't think the movie would be nearly as successful. Because when you watch it again, you'd be like, oh, well, that's a cheat. That's a cheat there, you know? But yeah. he doesn't cheat. It all makes sense. And even something like the the Stephen Tobolowsky character, even though you're rewatching it and you know what the outcome of this turns out to be, I'm still invested in that character. He's really good in this. He's Stephen, fucking great. He's like so sad. And he even said this the moment he put this script down, he's like, 
I have to do this movie. And this is one of the most groundbreaking things I've ever read. Like for him, it was like how we felt when we saw Pulp Fiction or something. And I, I definitely had that sense of, you know, awe and wonder walking out of this movie to where and just like, how the hell, you know, where did this idea stem from? And, and how is he able to articulate and beautifully craft it together? And uh, Eric, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this? Because well, I know I mean, you're a fan. You've really sort of touched upon so many of them already. I mean, I mean, I guess the, the best place to start is what Patrick was saying is that, yeah, I mean, yeah, is, is it a gimmick movie? Yeah, absolutely it's a gimmick movie. But, you know, I mean, you have, you know, how many directors try to break out on the scene by sort of having a gimmick movie like that. It's a way, you know, it's easy. It's a very easy way to get noticed. You know, people are going to sort of, you know, attach themselves to like, Ooh, that's a very, that's a different way to tell the story. Even though, you know, I mean, Seinfeld did an episode like this, you know, a few years earlier. <laughs> well, there, you know, Seinfeld, so. Seinfeld's episode is actually, there's a Harold Pinter uh, play um, yes. that I've seen. What's it? It's called the birthday? betrayal. The trail. There we go. Yeah. And betrayal. That's right. And, um, so that's what the Seinfeld uh, episode was actually yeah, based it's on. Yeah, the betrayal. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, so you, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, so you you watch the movie, but immediately he's already, you know, he, I mean, it's it's like it's like a ride at Six Flags that you know you're going you know backwards one way and then the ride starts to go forward at the same time and hmm. you have this 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 roving narrative that, like you said, you were put into this this uh, main character's shoot in Leonard's shoes. To where your own memory sort of becomes fractured as you try to sort of keep up with the movie, and unlike you know, say some other directors who might sort of you know screw around with this gimmick, he plays absolutely fair with the audience. Is that he you know he takes you through one scene and he catches you up and then he whisks you back. It's like you know Ellen Burstyn in The Exorcist with William Friedkin being yanked back on you know, <laughs> Thing. It's like that's what Nolan is constantly I, doing to you in this character. Now this, this 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 might be just be arguing semantics about gimmick, but I feel it, like the word gimmick implies like when I think gimmick, I think William Castle buzz buzzing seats it, and stuff. It has a negative connotation to it. But, but I think I think gimmick implies that it's non essential. But this, I think this is essential in so many ways. Other than oh, wouldn't that be cool if like thematically. Right. Uh, it's essential, and it's essential to getting you into the character's head, right. which is, and I think, and I think, despite the fact that, and and even he's not that much of a cipher, but I believe Guy Pierce's character is a little bit of, like he's so much defined by his condition, it, yeah, by his condition. Number mm-hmm. one is condition, and two, his quest for vengeance. That right. you don't ever really get a good idea of the person he was before, or you know, like. Well, um, he doesn't even know the person he was. Well, before. I know, and exactly yeah. that's the that's the point. But you do know the person he is now, and you know why he is the person he is now. Like right. why he gets so frustrated. Where I think if and I I believe uh, at least the first DVD release. By the way, there's a special edition DVD of this. is so obnoxious. I don't have you. Do you have the special edition? Yes, I do. Oh, where you, it, it's like you have to unlock a puzzle in order yes. to watch the movie? <laughs> you, have to, you have to find the right word to unleash the... the I, I have the special edition DVD and the Blu-ray of it, uh, and the, the, the special edition DVD is the one you're referring to, yeah. that you have to mm-hmm. find the word play, and you know, or find the word that sounds like play. To you know, to get to the act to the next part, but of the they menu, don't even so and they don't can, even say that. They say, right. well, what word wasn't there before?" And it's yes. like, "Oh yes. my god!" 
And then it, it comes with a bunch of like print, like uh, like not lobby cards, but just like printouts of like things his notes. That, Oh, yeah, not even as notes. I think they're, like, forms from the test, the memory test or whatever, because they look more like medical kind of stuff. Well, I think it's some of that, and I think there's, like, sections of, like, the police report. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's got the giant file that he keeps looking towards in the movie and whatnot. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, mean, yeah, (laughs) when you hear the word gimmick, it has a negative connotation, you know, and if this movie was no good, it would just be referred to as a gimmick movie and nothing else. But he's exploring so many ideas, you know, starting with just the idea of memory and how it can be manipulated in your own mind and yeah. you know one of the constant themes of this movie or one of the ultimate themes of this movie is how we lie to ourselves to Absolutely. make ourselves happy and what's you know yeah and i've actually i started connecting things to nolan's later movies because yeah I mean, definitely. especially definitely. especially prestige and inception it, the, those are movies that thematically are about storytelling um and i thought about the way People were talking about um, Inception and Prestige when those movies came out, um, mm-hmm. where they were looking at different pieces of the movie, at, and they were like, "Well, this is obviously a movie." And like then all their interpretations of what it meant, um, right. and it's and it's the same way. Like Leonard Shelby goes through his notes and he picks out like selective things because he can't keep his mind on the whole movie, or right. I mean, not the whole movie. He can't keep his mind on the whole police file, mm-hmm. um, and he'll pick out specific things that let him lead to a conclusion where he can be um, satisfied by it, mm-hmm. which is what we do when we are watching movies like this. We're trying to piece the puzzle together in our own minds and, as the movie's playing out. Well, okay, for example, there's the very popular kind of almost meme uh, that uh, that sort of uh, combines Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Fight Club, where people go, you know, if you watch Fight, if you watch Ferris Bueller, you can watch it through the perspective that Ferris isn't real and it's just Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> and and people like doing that because they like taking p- specific things about the movie and then you know turning them on their ear. But the movie doesn't work like that. That does that's literally impossible. That can't right. that Ferris doesn't exist. Right. And they're they're choosing to ignore parts of the movie for their theory to work. And at the same time, I and when you have a dense movie like this or The Prestige or Inception. That's what you do. That's and that's sort of what you almost have to do until unless you've seen it so many times that you can keep it. Like I've seen I've seen Memento like three times before today. Um I think I mean last time I saw it was like a couple years ago. There was a lot I did not remember and I was literally and again I think it's cuz the fractured narrative makes it harder to hold on to the pieces of information. Mhm. And so there was a lot of it where I, I was still, like, enthralled and, like, what's going to happen next, even though I knew how it ended? Yeah, even if you're confused, you're still enthralled, you know, and that's the, that's kind of the amazing thing when I, even re-watching this movie, I had sort of the same experience, you know, and, like, oh, yeah, that's right, that happened, and that happened, and you're sort of trying to, you know, again, solve the mystery as it's going on. I mean, I, obviously, I remember how it ended, but how it got there, it was still fuzzy in my mind. I mean, the one thing I... I obviously remember the most is uh, Joe Pantoliano's delivery of Lenny. I always <laughs> that, that and uh, it's beer o'clock. I'm buying. Those are my two big Joe Pantoliano. I love him in this movie, by yeah. the way. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's so terrific. And I mean, all, all those points you just brought up about uh, the, the connections between Prestige and Inception, all very well taken. Um, and and this is also, you know, I mean, this is the first sort of. I mean, we we haven't really touched upon following yet. We'll probably touch upon that a little bit here and there, but. Uh, Memento, it really sort of sets the groundwork for the rest of Nolan's career because it also, uh, while exploring that storytelling angle you touched upon, it also ex- explores two of his 
most favorite themes that are sort of you know peppered throughout the rest of his movies, which are the ideas of revenge and guilt. And these these mm-hmm. are these are two very specific ideas that are pretty much you know prevalent in all of his movies. Yeah, they you know, sort of and a play lot of out. the great directors, you know, love exploring those themes and the and the best ones obviously find new ways to explore them without seeming like, oh, he's just doing this again. Right. Yeah. Which is I actually I uh, I think it was after I finished watching Prestige, I tweeted that I can't wait until he does his inevitable remake of Rashomon. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like he's uh-huh. hint he hints at a remake of Rashomon in every movie he does, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, not in an, not in any kind of derivative way where you're like, oh, he's doing Kurosawa. It's just right. he's obsessed with those kind of themes. Yeah, yeah and no. as am I. I'm really interested in exploring the duality of man in that way. But he's like I said, even if his films are kind of philosophical and psychological, they're still just you can separate from that if you want to if you you don't have to like read deeply into it all those those themes are obviously there you can still just be invested in this as great entertainment yes that's also incredibly thought-provoking and Mm -hmm. you know like there is a little bit of a disconnect when we'll talk about it later whereas you know with the batman movies i'm not quite as invested in 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 the story in the same way that i am with something like memento and inception but that's just more of like a personal bias because I'm really into neuropsychology, so I, I'm, I'm a big fan <laughs> of memory and dreams. So the, the fact that Nolan has two, made two phenomenal films about things that I'm interested in reading all about on my own is just, you know, it, 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 it's, it just reaffirms my faith in, uh, in, in filmmakers out there who want to be, you know, who want to stimulate thought in, 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 the, in, in, in the audience. And that's really important to me that, like, because I don't always get that from movies, and from this, I feel like, oh my god, I, you know, this, I, I get so much out of the experience. Other than, well, that was cool, <laughs> you know, right. and I feel like I, I have a lot of of deep thoughts, uh, you know, introspection mm-hmm. as a result mm-hmm. of of watching at least three of his movies. And and the funny thing is, it's they're 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 super entertaining. Yeah, like you were yeah. saying, they're super entertaining. You know, uh, following is a noir, and this is a, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a noir thriller, Mystery, and yeah. you mm. know, an Inception's a big action movie with a great set, set pieces, pieces, and yeah. uh, like he doesn't do these in a completely heady way, and of course, that's why he's become the critical and commercial, you know, darling that he is. Yeah, uh, right. you know, he's completely earned it. Um, I will say another thing is uh, a lot of his movies, I feel that in order for his ideas and things to work, uh, sometimes characters make a little bit of absurd leaps of logic. Uh, this happens, I feel, most in Dark Knight and Inception because the plot has to keep going. Um, so I think Ellen Page is like a little exposition bot in Inception where she'll like she'll just like see what like Leo doing one thing and she'll automatically assume and know his motivation. Well, she improvises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she even well, says I'm, that I'm improvising. Well, no, I know, <laughs> but I'm I'm just saying like she knows. Like and yeah. I think I think it's just sort of, you know, you have something you have to do to keep the story going and but uh I was looking all throughout Memento for these little cheats or where people are I was looking for moments where like wait a second, if Leonard doesn't how like how is he not like you know? I was trying to find like how is he not like uh, oh shit, uh, Sammy Jenkins, where he literally couldn't do anything because he couldn't even leave his chair because he would just get lost. Yeah, and watch like how is he able to do all these complex things? And 
and then but they covered it. They covered it great. They talk about how uh, and they you know in, in the Sammy Jenkins story they talk about how you sort of and there's actually a funny John Mulaney joke. Uh, who's a favorite comedian of mine, he has a joke about in movies, people have amnesia. They wake up and they go, who are you? What are you doing? And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not what you do when you don't recognize people. Yeah. <laughs> or else you just walk <laughs> around all day going, who are you? Who are you? Uh, you just pre- like, if someone seems like they know you, you pretend like you know them already. Yeah. And since he knows he has this condition, there's a lot of moments where at first I was like, wait a second, how is he continuing his train of thought from before? And it's like, oh, he isn't. He's just sort of going with the momentum until he can catch up, you right. know, until his brain can sort of use context clues to catch up where he is. And then sometimes he doesn't, like like with Dodd and all that. Well, where- like when he's talking about, you know, trying to figure out if Sammy Jenkins was faking it or not, it's almost just like a reflection of him trying to figure well, his I own mean, personality. Especially, especially, and then, again, spoiler, he is Sammy yeah. Jenkins. Right. And that to me is just you know fascinating i mean there's like little clues here and there um more towards the end obviously once the you know revelations and even are that, presented I, I felt but it was almost i i when i in remembering it i was like that feels like a cheat that he transposed his memories um onto the story of sammy jenkins because that doesn't seem to be part of his condition but then they even covered that when they're like no through repetition he has sort of made these things true in his mind the same way that through which rep- is what people do, yeah, which is and that's <laughs> right. which they did with the with the electrified objects, yeah. you know, where right people with actual short term memory loss are able to do that. Um, and we should actually back up just a just just a moment that yeah. I mean, you, 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 when you're saying he he is Sammy Jenkins, it's you're saying that and just that the story's interline. He's not his not his name isn't actually Sammy Jenkins. Right. No, right. no, no, yeah. You know, because Sammy Jenkins you know, they they have this explanation later on where they say Sammy Jenkins was a con man, he wasn't even married. Right. You know. So yeah, so it's like you said, his his memory and he's because he's told the story so many times that the you know, the story became somebody else. And it's like he conveniently forgot the the, the really horrible details that uh that he still had in his me- that he should have still had in his memory, and it, you know he he just blocked it out and just sort of you know attached them to this story that he liked to tell. Yeah, and that was why that he's got the tattoo. Exactly, and hmm. that's and that's why it was, uh, and that and that's even though in, in retro I thought it was a cheat. It isn't. There is no cheating nope. in this movie, nope. which is kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even the National Institute of Mental Health says it's a perfect exploration on the neurobiology of memory. Which was not necessarily uh, Christopher Nolan's first goal. He wasn't looking to explore a medical condition. No, but like <laughs> thank, just thank. the fact that he's you know touched upon that, whether he did yeah. accurate research on it or not. Whereas something like Inception really has nothing to do with actual dreaming. No. Obviously not. Yeah, right. But still, I mean, to and the, and the interesting thing too is just how you know your um, allegiance can change with the character. Like you know, obviously when when at the very beginning you see Joe Pantoliano getting shot, you think, oh well, maybe he's the guy. But then as time goes you, on, yeah, you, you realize think it's going to be a story about him and how he discovers. It. Yeah, and 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 the same goes with with Carrie Ann Moss. It's like, oh, you think she's helping him? Well, no, she's not. She's fucking with him, and as, it goes back and forth. But the f- great thing is, as uh, it, just because of the nature of its structure, as the movie goes on, you begin to dap you even before you know, even before the twist. Where you find out that Leonard purposefully um, set up Joe Pantoliano to be shot 
uh, and that he like seems to have no uh, like he has no remorse over the fact that he's killing people not involved with the in order for his own personal feel like he because he, there's an earlier scene where he says where uh, Carrie Ann Moss asks you know says you're not even going to remember if you do it if you uh, if you yeah, adventure and he <laughs> goes that's not what's important but clearly that is what's important. Because, yeah. you know, he finds out that he did kill a guy and he mm-hmm. just keeps going anyway and he sets it up to keep going. Yeah, Joe and, Pantliano and Joe helps Pant- him out. Joe Pantliano is trying to put a stop to all of this. and, and It he, never sticks. So he, so he tries to stop Joe Pantliano because he doesn't want to ever – and I, li- I love the idea that he can't get over his wife's death. Because like, that's the other thing. Like there's a lot of – I feel like in a lot of uh, movies, uh, even in you know, even in some Nolan movies, uh, vengeance in like, oh well, my wife died, my parents died, is shorthand, mm-hmm. and that just allows a character to be as crazy as they want, you know, despite yeah. the fact that uh, you, you don't really get a sense of. Uh, I mean, we'll talk more about this in the Prestige, but oh yeah, like the idea that he can never ever get over his wife's death because of his condition makes his insane quest for vengeance much more believable than say bruce wayne turning into (laughs) batman you know and it sort of shows the fertility futility of like that quest for revenge yeah you know just not it's not going to get you anywhere it's like we're sort of fueled by it because of our guilt but at the same time it's not going to get you satisfaction and And it's so it's so rare that a twist ending is important thematically and i think that's something that nolan does that you know say m night Shyamalan doesn't do Never. You know, M9, 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 M9 right. Shyamalan likes the mechanics. Talk about a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. M Night Shyamalan loves gimmicks, and he loves the mechanics of a twist. But he, ha- but he, that's all he likes about it, is the mechanics. Yeah. And Nolan, despite you know being criticized, I feel uh, as someone who's very cold and uh, you know not unemotional, but not, not but more intellectual than emotional. Uh, mm-hmm. He does have a heart underneath. Uh, you know, he does have themes and ideas that drive these kinds of stories, um, and he, abs- he absolutely does. And I mean, we'll, we can talk, you know, later on about you know whether he's a cold filmmaker, or a heartless filmmaker, which I don't agree with at all. Because there's actually there's a, there, I mean, Memento has a comic streak in it that is you know people don't talk about That's too much. True. I mean, the I mean, Chandeliano is very funny in the movie, and there's just little you know little thing. The, you know the games they play with the memory and stuff the is, chase, is very funny. The chase, the chase scene is that so is, fan, is fantastic. I mean, it's not. It's hardly. You can hardly even call it a chase scene. It takes about about like fifteen seconds. But just that right. moment, that yeah. fucking moment where he's like, "Oh, I guess he's chasing me." <laughs> right. Uh, and he, he wakes up with a bottle. Oh, I don't feel drunk. You yeah. know. I mean, it's just little things like that. And you know, he, he keeps commenting how he doesn't know. You know how he got into the situation. And just it becomes a running gag. Almost. And like Jimmy, you were saying, I mean, the the idea that I mean, th- this is a, one of the most wonderful treaties on the futility of revenge that has ever been made. You know, and as big a fan as I am of Munich, you know, I mean, you can even say something like Princess Bride with Mandy Patinkin's entire life d- devoted to killing this one person. And at the <laughs> end of the movie, he goes, now I killed this guy. I have no idea what to do with my life. You know, and yeah. here's Leonard, Didn't who just constantly just, you know, is on this loop that is just going to con- continue to have this quest and have this catharsis that he needs to sort of m- block out the memory that he actually accidentally killed his wife. It's a really sad story. Yeah, it yeah. definitely is. 
yeah, Irreversible, I would say, is another movie. Didn't <laughs> what was that movie that you saw at the music box that you... Uh, Rolling Thunder? Or is like oh, the, just Rolling... was that that wasn't about revenge though, right? Yes, that is a oh, revenge oh, okay. movie. Um, that's I mean that's that's more interesting and for other ways. That's a Paul Schrader kind of uh, right. taxi driver kind of movie. Um, you you really see Rolling Thunder, by the way, Jim. That I know he's great, but that's that's one of those that I'm dying to see. So what's great? What's great about Rolling Thunder is it's about a it's a it's a revenge movie. Mm-hmm. Where instead of it's it's not about the futility of revenge necessarily it's about it's but it's a revenge movie where he snaps before the first frame of the film yeah um, and it's less of it, it's all you almost get the feeling that he is happy that his wife and kid were murdered because mm-hmm. as a father who's being divorced and it, this and the new dad is closer to his son than he is like he had no place in that world but as a killing machine. You know, he's suddenly given a purpose. Yeah, and that's just it. It's like I think everybody is searching for that purpose. And, and Leonard in this movie, he's so fueled by his revenge that, you know, it's a, become a part of his identity. To well, where it's he does. transformed his identity. Right. And, and, and that's the idea. It's like he, he's he, he can't of a, take he's that. Like, he's, he can't he's, get rid of that. He's pretty much an asshole and a dick to most people in the movie. Like, as a defense mechanism, just he doesn't trust them. Right, but right. he but he just acts like a dick to everybody, like Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantoliano, just everyone. I don't know if he I don't know if he acts like a total dick. I mean, like you said, he doesn't he 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 likes to look people in the eyes. as He always says throughout the movie, um, so he doesn't you know he has he has no reason to trust anyone. He's got these little notes, you mm-hmm. know, don't trust you know don't trust Leonard, don't believe his lies. And with Carrie Ann Moss, you know, he says she will you know she has also lost someone. She will help you out of pity, you know. And but you know, but she acts like a dick to him, you know, throughout most. Well, of the I movie. know, yeah. but like when you know, when he wakes up after he wakes up next to her. He's just yeah. sort of like he's just well, whatever. Like right. I and 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 I feel like the same way that he pretend that you know someone, um, mm. like that he was, you know, the sort of thing he would do. Where even if he, and again, he's, he said it's like waking up, and I, that's how I refer yeah. to when the new scene starts. Even when he wakes up in the middle of a chase scene, you know, he keeps yep. running. He he just keeps that momentum. I feel yes. the same way. He could have at least pretended. Like, he gave a shit about, you know? Like, if he really... He could have pretended that he gave a shit about Carrie Ann Moss. He could have not just attacked Joe... He could have just... Joe Pantley could have been like, oh, don't trust her. And he could have just been like, yeah, okay, whatever. But instead he's like, you know what? Maybe you're the dick. Maybe you're trying to do, you know? Like, he tries to <laughs> mm-hmm. flip it off. I feel like he acts like a dick to people. <laughs> I yeah, mean, not... On not, yeah, occasion. On occasion, yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, obviously, not. that's nothing compared to the actual darkness that's uncovered at the end. But, uh, but yeah, but it's you know essentially everyone in the film is using him in some way and taking advantage of his condition. I mean, you find out the the entire time, you know, Joe Pantoliano, you know, has been making or Teddy has been making these you know allusions to trying to steal his car for the entire movie, and you realize at the end of the movie is because there's like twenty five grand in the trunk of that car. That's why he wants it, not because it's a nicer car. Yeah, because his his payday is in there, <laughs> or even the hotel clerk try- books some two rooms and books some two rooms. Yeah. Yeah, because the, well, his his boss tells him to you know give him a, give it a shot, try and see if we we'll book another room. Yeah, it's 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 weird to think that some people would consider Christopher Nolan to be a cold filmmaker. To me, I mean, you can definitely make that argument for Stanley Kubrick, but I feel like he's got a lot of humanity infused in in his movies. I mean, like I I, 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 I definitely I think, think of the scene where I, 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I was thinking like in more of that that scene where you know he's pretty much I, and he's talking to Carrie Ann Moss like he's standing up straight in in bed and they're about to fall asleep and he just talks about how he doesn't know if he's ever going to get over the losing his wife and that's right. sort of driven him to this to this perpetual state and how do you you know when this sort of you know trauma has occurred how do you get past that well to me that's a really that's a that's a human struggle that's something that people can identify with how am i going to get past this you know particular uh struggle and 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 christopher Mm -hmm. nolan actually does a lot of good ways of equating his condition to some stuff that we all face yeah such as you wake up in a room and you know that that sort of thing where you don't know how much time has passed Mm -hmm. where people reach a malaise in their life where they don't move forward they're not they're not expanding you know that that expands to everyone from you know disinterested housewives to people stuck in cubicles to kid you know to twenty somethings that don't want to grow up like it's that same thing where it's just like has it been a year or has <laughs> it been a week since I last did something to improve my life you know like yeah well I think it, it, it can be even summed up summed up in a very simplistic way if you even look at just the first the opening line and the closing line the opening line is now where are you and then the closing line is. Now, where was I? Yeah. You know, right. it's just like simple things like that, I think, speak volumes in this movie. But I will... And, s- and it's, it's important to be empathetic with the, with Leonard. I mean, the, 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 the idea, the nature of revenge, you know, stems from a place of heartbreak or loss or something like that. So mm-hmm. we, we can all understand the, the want for revenge. It's the people who then acted out that, you know, we, we take issue with. Right. Um, right. But, you know, but yeah, I mean, the, the entire movie is about this guy that is, you know, the, these two people, drug idiots, you know, broke into his house, raped his wife, left him, left her for dead. And that's all he remembers. You know, he, he thought, you know, he only remembers her dying. But of course, you know, that was you know, he left out the, the, the particular pages <laughs> like he does in later in the movie where he says I, I, he, he removed some of the pages uh, to From solve the a puzzle that you could right, never yeah. existed. Yeah. Well, well, there's a lot of John G's out there who are drug dealers. So you can sort of keep that cycle going. Right. And then, and then yeah. But I will say, um, and I want to use this as a transition to the prestige. Uh, I feel the reason pe- people think Christopher Nolan is cold is because while this is not the case with Memento, I feel there are certain films of his where the ideas are a lot – you can tell the they ideas the are a lot more interesting than the characters, that the characters okay. exist to forward these ideas and these stories as opposed to the other way around where he's, you know, where he's, in, where he's examining these characters. Um, and I think that would be a good – uh, transition into the prestige. I'll perform this feat in a manner never before seen by yourselves or any other audience anywhere in the world. The audience left it. This trick is top notch. Need to celebrate. <laughs> magician tries to invent something you've got. It's something that other magicians will scratch their heads over. I suppose you have such a trick. That's you I do. So what are they going to remember me for? What happened? It was the greatest magic trick I've ever seen. I need to know how he does it. He has no trick. It's real. Every great magic trick consists of three acts. The 
first act is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, but of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. He's obsessed with discovering your method. The magician makes this ordinary something do something extraordinary. In the same way he sort of explored the reliability of memory with Memento and uh, dreamscapes with Inception, this time he, he, he decides to explore the ideas of mystery, illusion, and magic, and the way that an audience can respond to the process of being manipulated and entertained. Uh, once again, we kind of have a murder mystery element here um, with um, Alfred uh, Borden. With a very unusual structure. Yes, um, he's put on trial for um, the murder of his rival, played by Hugh Jackman. And, you know, there's a, sort of a, a lot of mirroring or, you know, um, parallels going on, obviously, with the way um, Hugh Jackman's character dies is uh, akin to what happened earlier with uh, his wife and everything, you know, who, who died during a, a botched magic trick of sorts. And I don't know, it's, again, like, we're, we're finding, you know... Uh, interesting recurring themes in most of Nolan's work and here um, like the way his characters sort of celebrate the art of manipulating the audience to arouse them. Uh, and and never, and when I say manipulation, I don't mean that in, you know, with a negative connotation behind it. It's more of like, Oh, he loves it. <laughs> yeah. He really respects and as, it. As do the two characters to where they become, you know, obsessed with their craft. Absolutely. And I think this is, when I first saw this movie, and I'm, we'll get to the ending, obviously. Um, when I first saw it, I was kind of perplexed, and I, I wasn't it. quite as entertained by it um, as Eric was, and that's why I've always been kind of wanting to have that this conversation, yeah. <laughs> because I was like, oh my god, he put this on the best of the decade, now I kind of want to know exactly why, <laughs> my, but uh, my, I love this movie. My go-to quote on this uh, was that it felt like a super mopey version of Spy versus Spy. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't I I which kind of I still feel a little bit but I like it a lot more than I like it than I liked it the first time I saw it. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, definitely did. I didn't well number one is uh, again this is probably my biggest problem with it is I didn't really catch on the subtext the first time around. Um and I feel that my biggest problem with the prestige is that the actual story and the actual characters aren't nearly as interesting as the ideas. Unlike, say, like Memento, where they feel like one and the same, uh, I feel like Hugh Jackman's getting like you don't really know, you don't really feel for Hugh Jackman because you all you know about him is him and as a magician. You don't know anything about him as a wife. I mean, him as a husband, <laughs> right? Really, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you necessarily need that history, that backdrop of you know. I don't think that's we... entirely true either. No. What you're saying? Well, cause, I mean, because there is, I mean, there isn't a lot. I mean, you're not going to get an entire back, you know, uh, hour with you know him and Piper Perabu, obviously. But there are those early scenes, uh, you know, during the, the all of the flashback structure and whatnot, where you get to see scenes between uh, him and his wife and the sort of the, at least the very the life they were going to be building together. Uh, that is then torn apart by the you know this other magician. Uh, who I believe may have sort of callously, you know, screwed you know screwed it up. Well, well with her permission, <laughs> I th I believe. I, yes, I think. I mean, I obviously Hugh Jackman's character won't allow himself to even consider this, but uh, the movie makes it clear that she is also to blame for her death. 
Yeah. Because it's yeah. her because it's not just it's not just Christian Bale's pride. Yeah. It's her pride because she Hers prides too. herself as the assistant who can get the not done un- underwater. Right. Um, but I, I, I feel like Nolan is more interested in the ideas than the characters. At least I was definitely not. I didn't feel thrilled by the characters, but I do want to I do want to read something because I want to dispute. It. Oh, that's right. The... Uh, we got an email mm-hmm. um, from uh, an avid listener of the show, uh, Robert. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Renicki, uh, who is not a fan of Nolan. Um, and obviously, you know, Eric, you're not going to agree with this. And I don't really agree with this either. But here is a point I thought we would it'd be nice to address. Uh, he said he's looking forward to hearing thoughts on Prestige, which he thinks is a well-crafted movie, but he has enormous problems with. Uh, he says, he, in his experience as an identical twin, I find the big twist a lot of horseshit. It's a movie in which Nikola Tesla invents a cloning machine. So <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like if if that's where the suspension of disbelief loses you, then you have, you know, that's I feel like that's yeah. not exactly. A, Look past the logistics a bit there. Uh, he says he finds it easier to believe that Tesla could invent a quantum copier slash teleporter than the logistical and psychological hoops that need to be jumped through on a daily basis to pull off the deception shown in the movie. Um, it, it says he said he thinks it's an entirely unnecessary one because it's pretty clear that the two identities already already established and sharing lives don't add anything to the show. The fact that Nolan keeps Bale's characters at arm's length helps pull off the deception, but robs the characters of any true death, as the conflicts that inevitably must come up are effectively brushed aside. That's true, you don't really find out anything about the other person, um, so you don't find out anything about half of his life, you know? Mm. Um, uh, uh, Brushed aside in favor of didacticism, frankly, is what Robert uh, claims. Uh, Bale represents a dedication to craft. Jackman represents showmanship. This substitutes for any real characterization, and Nolan hits that nail on the head in all the obvious ways. And frankly, it's a false dichotomy. Everyone realizes that a mixture of both qualities is important in entertainment. And I would say... Nolan does that, in my opinion. I feel like, number one, it's one of many dichotomies. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not just about showmanship (laughs) versus craft. (laughs) To say the prestige is about one little parallel or something like that is completely, you you fell asleep. And that's why why, I want to talk about this movie with more people. I have read so many interpretations. Uh, one, One person I know has said that this is his response to people who thought Memento sucked the second time around. <laughs> who, who, pe- there are pe- people who thought that, well, once the, once the secret of the trick is in- revealed, then, you, then, then it loses all value, which he, he obviously disagrees with because he finds great – he has great love for the craft. Um, he, I've seen people compare it to science versus religion, say that it's a movie about that. I've seen – uh, you know, uh, mainstream, you know, commerce versus art. Uh, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> dichotomies being explored in these two characters. Um, well, let me go ahead and skim through Roberts. Uh, he said the dichotomy in the press is how the prestige ultimately doesn't fully come together for me. The prestige has all of the dedication to craft in the world, but is off is awfully low in basic entertainment value. Disagree. None of the characters are likable or all that sympathetic. Uh, I disagree about both. Uh, I find, well, likable, I, can, I guess you can argue, because likable is a weird term. 
I don't know. Especially why. for a movie. I mean, yeah. is anyone in Goodfellas really likable? Exactly. There's, you know, that's a, that's a that's a lame excuse by someone searching for something. Charles Charles Foster, Charles Foster Kane is not a likable guy. No, he's not. <laughs> you know, uh, and that always. And I understand. Uh, I feel like people say likable, and I I include myself in this because I make this mistake too. People use the term likable to mean they couldn't relate to a character, which is I feel something different. Um, sure. Because there is there are there are examples of movies that you watch it and you don't care what happens to the characters because you don't care you know what hap- you you don't care whether they live or die or succeed or fail, um, and which is more which is usually more a direct uh, you know uh, uh, in, insult or you know for lack of a better word on the screenplay and the structure of the movie more than so the, the way a character is written or developed. Well, you know, I mean the, the way, way the a character way is written is sometimes. the screenplay. But uh, but no, but I I don't think likable is always the right word. But I feel that they're both very uh, um, sympathetic uh, characters. I feel. Yeah. I mean, I think Hugh Jackman's character less so, and I think as the movie goes on, uh, you you could make again an you change you allegiance. Can, a bit. Well, right, you can make an argument the same way that you begin to trust Leonard less in Memento. You begin to mm-hmm. trust these people's like the legitimacy of their rivalry less. Because at one point it's, well, fuck you, you killed my wife, so yeah. And then it's like, well, fuck you, you cut on my finger. But then at some point it just becomes about their pride. And it but becomes again, about dis- the, the discovering, discovery of how they do their tricks. And I, and I do think right. that, that actually does help the fact that I didn't really feel a lot for Jackman and his wife. Because I feel like as much as it was that, it became more about his pride. The same mm-hmm. way Leonard said, I just want revenge for my wife. When then you later discover, no, he just wants to make himself, I think the same thing could be said of Jackman where it's more but, about his pride and showing up this one guy who 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 thinks he's so much better than him than sure. than anything to do with uh Well makes, Jackman revenge. Jackman says at one point his you know the uh, Angier his character Angier in the movie after Scarlett Johansson's uh character steals uh Borden's diary uh, and gives it to him. He goes. She goes. Uh, you're you're not going to bring your wife back by doing this. And he says flat out in the coldest manner possible. He says, "I don't care about my wife. I care about his secrets." And right. again, if you're a person who needs characters to be likable, and I'm not, I'm not trying to attack Robert because obviously, obviously, this is not a dialogue. This is something he wrote that we're responding to. So it's easier for us to pick it apart. But if you're the kind of person who needs characters to be likable, I can understand getting. Um, feeling lost, not having "quote unquote" someone to root for. Um, I do think the characters are kind of interesting, and I think they're. I think the. I think that that development in them is established earlier on um, when they were more sympathetic. So I and so I, I don't. It never. It certainly never lost me. Um, he says. Uh, um, hold on. Pre- uh, that it, none of the characters are like well sympathetic. Even the good twin takes part in an awful deception of his family. Again, I, that's not something that I think is lost on Nolan. I think that's very much the point. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, Nolan's handle on female characters and romance falls completely flat. I think that you could definitely say there's not a lot of well-rounded female characters in his films. I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, not not that he has to. There's not a lot of well-rounded, well-rounded black characters in this film. There's not a lot of well-rounded, <laughs> you know, like, it, it, there's not a lot of, you know, I can't think of a single gay character in a Nolan film that's really, you know, that really... Right. Re- 
I don't think that's his job, no. but I think that's definitely a fair criticism that his female characters usually exist as motivation rather as fully formed. I mean, uh, it's actually not to go back to Memento, but one of the things I I liked when I watched it today that I noticed was that the way he shot memory, and we talked about this last episode, how Tree of Life felt yeah. very much like the way you remember things. The way Shel- uh, Leonard Shelby's memories of his wife are shot are Tree of Life. Like, they're shot oh, in a malic way where there's just golden sunlight streaming in through windows and close-ups of yeah. water, like, from a faucet over hands. And... Oh, yeah, those those sequences are very Terrence Malick. And, and I like that someone like Nolan, who is considered so you know, so cerebral and so is, is able to have that in his pocket where he goes, no, for this, I need to shoot it way different than I would shoot anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the prestige, I think he sort of tackles just the idea of how obsessed a person can be yeah. to not, you know, not just perfect their craft, but even if it means stealing other people's, you know, ideas. I sh- I, and I, I find that really I got, like, I just got, an interesting parallel I, to I, the actually, idea of I filmmaking. forgot my point, and I just got it again. The point That's is, okay. the same way that, you know, one of the criticisms that I believe Matt railed against Tree of Life is that uh, the main character's mother is just like this angelic... Uh, you know, sort of half character that's not even really formed. Uh, the same. But that's thing- how she exists in their mu- in the, in memory. Their minds. Sa- exact yeah, same. Memory. Exact same in in Memento. And I think right. that. I and I think I'm sure that can be frustrating for people. Uh, I don't. I but I don't think you should. I think you should judge films based on what the films are, not what they're not. You know. Uh, I, when we when we dislike the whole of a movie, and this is true from film critics down to you know your average Joe citizen, is that when you don't like the overall you know arcing whole of a movie, you will begin to find you know things that normally would not bother you if you liked the movie. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. So that, that that that's a big problem. And, and like and Jim, I think you were just saying how the idea of how how far you would go, you know, to even like you know, sort of you know, take you know tidbits from other people's ideas and sort of perfect them as your own and yeah. whatnot, you know, which is, a, is something that is sort of brought up in Inception, which we 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 talked about earlier how pre- prestige and Inception are sort of you know treaties on the idea of storytelling and movie making, right. uh, and how to you know how to deal with the audience, and you know Tom Hardy you know has the the, the line in Inception where he's saying how if you you want to do Inception you need imagination. You know, and that's yeah. that's sort of the sort of the key to, you know, when I talk about Inception, I say that this is a movie about movies. You know, <laughs> yeah, and that's, absolutely. You know, and that's exactly what you're saying with the Prestige. And I and 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 again, I think and I think Nolan, I don't think he's creating a dichotomy in that he is saying that what Jackman is doing is good is bad, and then what Bale is doing is good. Right. Um, I feel that no, this not is, at all. I feel this is a very personal movie because I just from watching his, you know, Nolan's other movies, the very things that I don't like about, you know, some of his movies would would you could count you could consider struggles about that dichotomy about <laughs> wanting to have ideas and structure but still wanting to be entertaining and and trying to find a balance in between that. Um, and I think and I. And I think it's wanting kind of a meta to, approach to it. And I think I think both characters don't. And neither character represent. I think they both represent him. I think, I mean, he. This is a movie that, that's complex structure. By the way, I did want to bring up something I didn't even you know consider the first time I saw it because I was just too busy you know watching the story unfold to really pay attention to how it was unfolding. 
this is a real – I would love to like someone to make a diagram of this movie the same way I've seen like diagrams of Mulholland Drive or something <laughs> where like what parts are flashbacks and what parts are being read in a diary. Yeah. And they're like flashbacks then flashbacks and then it – like it's it, – again, it's that Rashomon idea where you're never exactly sure um, whose perspective this I, the, the specific scenes are from. And that way the movie is able to be from both characters' perspectives mm-hmm. and – even when Bale has his ultimate victory at the end, you feel just as you feel just as bad for Jackman as you do feel good for Bale. Yeah. There's no villain. Um, I know, and that's, I mean, that's Jack- incredible that you can, you, you can pull that off. I I feel Jackman is more of a villain just because he you have less respect for someone who pays his way. Mm-hmm. But I feel that at the same time, Jackman is a, a you know he's a more charismatic. Actor, I think, than Bale, and I think he's he's a more fun to watch in those early scenes. And yeah, um, it's fun. It's his scenes of on stage where whereas Bale just sort of dourly shoves rings together. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love those scenes. Like this is a really interesting movie, and unfortunately, like again, my one complaint about it is as far as ideas go, it's a lot more interesting in that way than. Um, then and the, then the quote unquote character. I feel like the characters are are more representative than they are people, and that's one hmm. way to make movies. I mean, I could I I would say this. I don't think this is even a similar movie to it, but I think two thousand one Space Odyssey. The ideas are a lot more co- interesting than the actual quote unquote plot. You know. Yeah, or even just the ideas it provokes in you yeah, yeah, in no, general. It, well, not, again, just the, not just the ideas the movie is presenting. And that's, not, but, that but to me is really stimulating. What I'm saying is, and this is one way to make movies, it's just not my – and this is personal bias. It's not my preferred way to make movies. I've had more fun chewing on the movie afterwards than watching it. Um, which oh, is, yeah. That's, but at the same time – That's true of a lot of David Lynch movies for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, at the same time – I prefer something where it's equally. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I, I know. Think that, and I think that's. I think prestige is doesn't do a gr- as good of a balancing job. I think it's. A, I think well, it's still, especially number one for a major studio movie that is number one major studio. Number two, successful mm-hmm. for its it made its budget back and then some. It it, it definitely beat its competition, The Illusionist. I actually – I also tweeted – I worked at Blockbuster when both those movies came out on DVD and I I actually – I can't even believe I – I actually recommended The Illusionist over The Prestige. Ooh. Yeah, my, my official position on these two movies uh, and, I, I, and it was in a memento state of mind. I cannot remember which one I saw first. Uh, the Illusionist played at Sundance earlier that year and The Prestige came out in October. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I might have seen The Prestige first and so I, I, I can't remember. But my official position on the two movies is that if you like The Illusionist more than The Prestige, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> That's that's my official position on the movie because the illusionist ha- is all about the you know the the, the sort of the, the twist angle of it and the, the you know Paul Giamatti's ridiculous accent uh, and everything about the movie is so obvious and it's very boring and trite and Neil Berger is but, one of the but, worst female uh, worst uh, directors out there I think but 
Very um, beautiful movie. I think the cinematography. Uh, it's a good looking movie. That's I the only thing. I, that's the only I thing I remember. That. All I remember, yeah, all yes. I remember is like certain shots about it, and then yes. I remember at the end, uh, Ed Norton has a like hilarious fake beard. That was the right. which, which is actually also true of the Prestige. I think the be- fake beards in this movie were hilarious. <laughs> there's, which is, there's a lot of beards in this movie. <laughs> yes, is, there are. Which is fake. why I compared Purposeful it to Spy vs. Spy. I think originally. Mm-hmm. Spy vs. Spy, they were always wearing fake beards. There are yeah. some people out there, and I, there's some people out there that um, I don't I don't necessarily agree, but I've heard it come up. Um, I I can't remember what review I, I saw this in, where it was like the, the 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 critic had mentioned he felt like where the movie went should have been stated more upfront, like the science fiction element that sort of comes into the movie feels like it comes out of nowhere. Like, the, all of a sudden, yeah, I, the teleportation device... Yeah, I, um, I do feel that the un, like some it, kind it of sets earlier... sets up realism, and then it becomes... I, I didn't have a problem with it, and I don't think it really hurts... The, I don't think... It certainly doesn't feel like, oh, it's a cheat, because he didn't know how else to do it. I think he had a reason to do it, and I think that always helps, mm-hmm. um, other than just, I don't know how to put... He obviously knew how to put the plot forward, you know, but this is... There were yeah. more bigger thematic reasons to have a giant machine that Tesla did. Right. Um, and I think Tesla is actually an, sort of enigmatic and weird and sort of mysterious, you know, historical figure enough that you can buy this sort of thing. <laughs> um, uh, well, he, no, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, well, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, historically, you know, people have, you know, he, he, this is a guy that invented stuff that he didn't even show people. You know, this is a guy that basically sort of buried ideas and whatnot that they say that, you know, he, he made inventions that people have never even seen before, <laughs> you know. And then you also have, I mean, th- this, this is a movie, you know, I, I, obviously we're going to get into more of this. Um, but, I mean, th- th- there's not a wasted frame in this movie that does not deal with some specific dichotomy, duality, parallel, or the, the overriding I- idea that I think the movie is ultimately about. Um, but, I mean, with the, with the Tesla character, you also have the, the idea that Thomas Edison is also there. So you have this sort of yeah. this dual rivalry I never even thought that's about going that. on. Right. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, again, and I think Tesla and Edison had a very – I'm sure – I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about the novel, but I'm sure the, the no, like their sort of rivalry sort of at least uh, inspired it a little bit. Uh, because they had a very similar thing where Edison was this great showman and this great um, popular, you know, kind of person, and Tesla was more heady and weird. And yeah, mm-hmm. um, no, that's I never even considered that. That's actually really brilliant. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go in the last paragraph uh, to Robert's uh, email where he says, "To me, the Prestige re- represents all of Nolan's strengths and weaknesses. There's no doubt he's clever and a good craftsman with high ambitions. Obviously, I'd agree." But his dialogue and characterizations are off are often on the nose and obvious, which I think is kind of kind of fair. Um, and his handle of female characters is shaky at best. Again, in a movie in which the characters represent ideas as much as they are actual people, like I don't think the men act like men. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the only person who feels like just a normal person, and you get this idea of this kind of personality and all that, would be Michael Caine. You know, mm-hmm. everyone else. You know, the that, moral center. Yeah, and Michael and Michael Caine's great at that. Oh yeah, and there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. I uh, and the other thing I'd like to say is I think uh, Nolan uh, is really good with actors. I think 
there's rarely any bad performance in any movie he's ever made. Right. Um, that was one of the things that really shocked me about Insomnia because I love the original and I was really dreading to see this sort of neutered remake. Um, and I do think the remake was neutered, but all the performances are great. Um, and, yeah. and even interesting in ways that weren't in the original, you know? Uh, and I, I think he's great with actors, and that's something that is normally credited to directors who are more, you know, who are less obsessed with ideas than him. You know, you yeah, want to talk more about people like Kubrick, yeah. Kubrick and Hitchcock, you know, they, they treat actors like cattle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Nolan, I'm, and I'm sure the reason he gets people to keep coming back and working for him and stuff... Uh, and people are so eager to work with him. I mean, obviously now it's because he makes these huge, super successful, high-profile movies, but he's also really good with actors. Uh, You know, uh, I really, really, I'd say my least favorite film of his is Batman Begins. I really hate that. I wouldn't say hate, but I really don't like that movie. All the performances are really good in it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, other than Katie Holmes, but I mean, he's not a miracle worker. I mean, come on. <laughs> but he gets a good performance out of Scarlett Johansson in this, in the Prestige. I think you know that's true. You know, Scarlett and also the idea. I mean, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, you know, if you want to follow the sort of the archetypes of that you're talking about, I mean, Scarlett Johansson is essentially in the movie. You know, she's a magician's assistant, so she's meant to be a distraction, and that's really that's her entire purpose is to distract you. A pretty from, girl. You know, pretty girl she's is the a best. Pretty girl on stage. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and that is and again you can uh, which is why you can say I mean in this movie obviously it's a lot more heady I think than something like Insomnia or even Dark Knight you know mm-hmm. uh, but so but I and I I do agree that his female he doesn't tend to go towards female characters but I think that's just more an observation you can make of, rather than a criticism. You know? Yeah, I don't. I don't think yeah. they're like they're like bad characters. I mean, no. you, you don't look at Carrie Ann Moss and go like, "Oh, that was a bit poorly drawn character." It's it's just it's not. You know, I mean, these I mean, you could say that the women sort of exist, like you said, as motivation for the protagonist. You know, I mean, certainly with Batman, you know, the the Rachel Dawes character most certainly influences him in several ways in both of those movies uh, and has more lasting impact as, you know, uh, as a motivating machine rather than an actual fully drawn well, I will character. Say, I will say in... I think I, they complement the story. And then, you know, it's not oh, like... Oh, no, definitely. No, definitely. That's, and that's important. And the story yes. is important. Uh, and uh, the last thing uh, I, Robert said is uh, he has more to say about art than people, even though he makes movies after movie about obsessives. And I sometimes it's yeah. true. I think it depends on the movie. That doesn't I think, bother me. <laughs> I think Moment, I think like the reason Memento is my favorite movie of his is because I think it it does both um, perfectly, mm-hmm. uh, and I I think it hits that perfect balance that his other movies don't have that perfect balance. But at the same time, it's like he does so many astonishing things and so many things no one else is doing, and he does them right. in a context. That no one else is doing them, and these aren't art films, you know. Like Prestige was a big release, uh, you know. <laughs> Inception is the number one movie of that year, not not box office, but like culturally, that was all anyone was talking about. No one cared about Transformers, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there it wasn't Harry Potter that everyone was referencing in, uh, you know, in pop culture and in uh, in you know monologues on late night shock shows and all that. It, mm-hmm. it was, and, and again, the same way we talked about Burton. Obviously, I think Christopher Nolan's a much better director than Tim Burton. But <laughs> well, like, yeah. I have nothing but the gr- utmost respect for people who are able to be unique 
in Hollywood, which is a system designed specifically to keep from people keep people from being unique. Right, and and as we talked last week, it can be the opposite too, where I can appreciate a filmmaker that's just stylish and fun and does cool things with a camera to where shit, I don't need the depth. Oh, I I won't, I'm I fine. That's with the thing I want to talk. That's what the thing I want to talk about. He's not. He's obviously not Malick. And he's not even uh, Fincher, where his key goal is to create images. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, Christopher Nolan's movies, especially Prestige, beautiful. Oh, yeah, Uh, for sure. Memento, Insomnia, even. And uh, even if they're two and a half hours, they don't feel long. um, Sometimes they do. Uh, <laughs> I've I've never felt you know his movies move with the yeah. pace. I mean, no, they... Dark, Dark Knight is as and as intense a movie as I've seen in the last few years, um, and that's a two and a half hour movie. And the Prestige is just over two hours. And even if you say if it's not, you know, I mean, I mean, how many movies of that that time period can you really say are action packed, exciting? You know, there's just I mean, the, the, those movies sort of tend to have. Uh, a way about them that don't exactly aspire to you know being fast paced. Yeah. it's just the, the the time period. And you know, I mean, we're talking people, horses, and all that kind of stuff and whatnot. But uh, but 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 the way he he structures the movie and the way, like you said, the, you know, that he you know the way he tells a story between different points of view and the and two different characters at different points of time reading each other's diaries that are eventually going to sort of come to this head yeah. later in the movie I mean, that's all that stuff is at more exciting than anything michael bay has ever put on screen. <laughs> oh yeah totally you know? well, yeah. So, and, 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 he's and doing of course it editing and storytelling and perfect and perfect and perfect you know fitting to theme he mm-hmm. uses technology to tell the story. This is an inception where there are giant, uh, you know, uh, dreamscapes and, you know, cities folding in on themselves and those sorts of things where and like zero gravity fights where you need special effects. But he uses special effects in a different way. He uses special effects to create another Hugh Jackman when he needs right. to, you know. Uh, and I th- I like how the special effects for the transportation slash cloning slash, you know, magic bean machine uh are uh, are almost look kind of cheesy and fake <laughs> because yeah. that's almost in its own way a diversion um, well that's also one of the ways you can i mean uh, we'll, we'll get to sort of the overriding theme that i think the movie's about eventually but that's that's one of the things that you can sort of find a way to attach to and that the idea that you know as, as the movie goes along the, the ultimately that the the, the the angier character is finding these sort of these sort of fantastical ways to in you know delight an audience which is sort of how you've seen the hollywood system go through the years you know back in you know the the time of thomas edison when he invented the motion picture right you know it was all about images or telling the story or a character or something like well, that I mean, and if you want to go all the way back to edison time, there's no story it's just well, right yeah just images and right now so you so you have i mean i mean the the brilliance of having even thomas edison just somewhere out there in the background yeah the, the inventor of the motion picture and not even using the term motion picture as one of his <laughs> inventions is i mean that's one of the, the most brilliant things about the prestige is that it's about so many things and nolan finds ways to show you with without, you know without I mean, telling you yeah that everything is, that is true in this in this film uh much more so than i would say inception uh, he showed like uh, these themes are not spoken by characters. I'd say that was actually my main problem with Batman Begins and is, Dark Knight. Is, well, Dark <laughs> Dark Knight uh, had a lot of, of other stuff that uh, were more fun, and I would Dark agree Knight with had that. A, Dark Knight had a lot of more political sort of things going on that they didn't talk about. There's not a point where 
uh, Batman says, we won't negotiate with terrorists, you know, like in an on-the-nose way, but it's clear that Joker is terrorism and he is, you know, America post-9-11 and all that. But yeah. anyway, I would love to hear, Eric, what you do think the ultimate sort of posit – I mean obviously it's about a lot of things, but what what do you think mostly that the movie is saying? Well, ultimately, I mean, you you had mentioned that some people had uh, spoken about the movie as being science versus religion. Yes. Which is ultimately, when when I saw the movie, especially for the second time, the first time I just sort of, you know, trying to soak it all in. That's right. what you do the first time you see this movie. Mm-hmm. Then the Most time Christopher I Nolan it, movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, excuse me. And you know, the, the so it was the second time that I saw this movie that I really started to sort of piece together what I felt Nolan was going for. And you have this movie that is set uh, basically at the turn of the century. It's set around 1900, 1899, basically. And throughout the movie, you're just, you know, it starts off with this movie's about magicians. And, you know, magicians are, you know, entertaining audiences, you know, left and right. And then as the movie goes on, uh, you know, the the Angier character and with, with Tesla and Borden and all this stuff, discovering the idea that science is now starting to overtake the idea of the magicians to the point that the magicians are now implementing science within their sort of their way of entertaining audiences. And to me, this film is almost almost dead on is one of the more interesting uh, dissections of the idea of Christianity that I've ever seen. Hmm, I see. And, and, yeah, and the, the idea that I mean, there, there's there's a really great line in the movie uh, that's re- repeated several times where uh, it, it said that nobody cares. Uh, hold on, let me let me bring this up for one second because I wrote this down earlier, yeah. uh, so not to misquote myself, but uh, said nobody cares about the man in the box. Nobody cares about the the man who disappeared. Now you think about the death of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's a man in a box. Okay, if he doesn't disappear. You know, he disappears. If he doesn't come back with the resurrection, Christianity doesn't exist. Huh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So you have, you know, the, the entire movie, and then you also have the, there's a scene uh, in the middle of the movie where uh, the Angier buries one of the brothers. Right. So there's actually this sort of, this sort of, this resurrection theme that's playing <laughs> out throughout the movie. And people um, that they thought were dead, you know, right. coming back. Right. Exactly. So there's an entire resurrection theme going on, and they keep talking about the idea of what a good trick costs, the idea of risk and sacrifice. Um, you know, the, the the secret impresses no one. It's like uh, the the trick you use it for is everything. They say, you know, and then you know, and when you think about the the sort of the ultimate twist of the movie. Michael Caine tells us the twist halfway through the movie, which is he, he, that that Christian Bale is using a double in his big. Oh band. right, That's right, correct. Yeah. yeah, these twin brothers. He says it. He says it flat out to the camera. He goes, he uses a double. And there are and people happens, out there who think the that Hugh Jackman twist. character does not believe him. And you know something? We don't believe him either because, as an audience, we are taught to believe throughout film, throughout time, that when we're given a sort of a red herring like that early in the movie, that we're it's, meant to mistrust to yeah, mistrust it. That it's not true. Okay. So you have so you, when you think about the idea of you know Christianity or any sort of religion where you have sort of these you know mystical beings in the sky you know whatever and I'm coming coming from this place as a raised uh, Catholic mm-hmm. okay so how, whatever you want to believe you know as far as the the angle of Christianity is concerned uh, we're all 
you know, the, the simplest explanation, you know, the, the, we go back to Contact, which you can say is the other great science versus religion movie. Absolutely. Uh, they, they talk about <laughs> Occam's Razor, where they say the simplest, solu- all things being equal, the simplest solution has to be the, the, the most, you know, the, the most the obvious best, one. The, the, right. There you go. Most there you likely. Go. Yeah. And that's exactly what, you know, he's doing with this movie is that Michael Caine tells us he's, he's a double. Okay. There's the end of the movie. And we don't believe it. Why? Because we don't want to believe it. Because we do not want to believe in – because the secret is never as, as interesting as the trick. Right. Okay. Yeah, and and that's, that, that's what goes, is going on through this movie as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's really great. <laughs> so what <laughs> – Like, well, I mean, well, I, there's a lot of people out there and the first, so time, you, so and the first time I saw it, I wasn't completely bu- buying into that the, the twist at the end was necessary. Like, yeah. what if the film had ended with Christian Bale being hung and that was it? I mean, obviously, it's quite the downer, but um, <laughs> I was just kind of, like, perplexed more than, like, holy shit, kind of an ending for me. I was it's... more of, like, what did this add to the overall movie other than, oh, wow, that was cool to find out. I, I do think, I do remember guessing, guessing the, I feel like the twist isn't I like the twist it, to me isn't when Christian Bale explains it to Hugh Jackman. I believe the reveal is where the final image. Hugh, no, it's where Hugh. It's where uh, it's where Christian Bale says to his partner, "There, she's on to us." Uh, I feel like at that point, his his wife had had enough. Said, "Some days you love me, some days you don't." You know, and uh. like at that point, I'd guess the ending. So I never even consider the final explanation to be about. Christian Bale revealing to the audience the trick. I always consider that to be about Christian Bale uh, and lording it over Hugh Jackman's character. Uh, sorry yeah, again. Well, uh, it is revealed that, I mean, without, again, without being saying, because that's the way Nolan and, and his, like, give credit to his brother Jonathan as well, who's co-written uh, Memento and Prestige with him, mm-hmm. uh, that he does without telling you precisely, we know that the Rebecca Hall character, the wife, has figured something out. He's, she's either seen something or she's heard something, and she knows that you know that they have brothers. She knows what's going on, and th- th- there are scenes where he has to try and smooth things over. And you you go back and watch the Prestige, and I hope you guys go back and watch it with the explanation that I've just given, um, and watch it on that angle. But you can also go back and watch it just watching Christian Bale's performance. Uh, you know, so many people like to give Jeremy Irons credit for Dead Ringers, and deservedly so. Mm-hmm. But you consider what Christian Bale has to do with this character that he cannot let on to the audience. You know the the two different sides of you know the, these two different uh, characters. I, that's you know, the other that, thing. That's actually the other thing. If someone if someone could make a, a story diagram of this, and then also you have to at every point uh, figure out if it's the Christian Bale who loves Rebecca Hall or the Christian Bale who loves Scarlett Johansson. It's very easy yeah. to watch me sometime. I've already done it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know it's very it's very easy to 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 pinpoint when it's the sort of the nice brother. Or the sort of the, the the hothead brother, for lack of lack of better terms, it's it's very it's very easy to do, especially if you're just paying attention to the Christian Bale performance, because it's really quite spectacular. I don't doubt it. You know, it's interesting, Eric, that you brought up Contact because that's a movie that I'm really excited. Like how how you're passionate about this movie is kind of how I am towards Contact, where I've mm-hmm. had to defend it uh, with with in, in, in a lot of conversations as it being sort of the a uh, perfect example of the, the the science versus religion argument in general, and you know mentioning Nolan, you know comparing him to Zemeckis. Zemeckis is another filmmaker, especially his earlier films, not a wasted frame. 
in any no. way. And, like, and someone who uses technology to tell stories yeah. as opposed to, yes. you know, who knows how to use technology. Not anymore. Well, <laughs> right. Really. Wow. He, he went the Jackman route. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope he redeems himself at some point. So what do you think the movie is saying about Christianity? Well, I think I think it's, it's I don't know if it's necessarily saying anything specific like it's bad or you know it's not really taking it's, a position right. in that. Mm-hmm. It's just presenting but it. it. It's presenting the idea that, you know, back in, in the old days, you know, the, the Christianity or whatever we wanted to believe, you know, this was a time, you know, this was also sort of the time period of like Harry Houdini when, you know, the idea that, you know, spiritualists and, you know, people were doing seances and whatnot and contacting the dead and the afterlife, you know, these con games that were going on that uh, Houdini, you know, exposed in, in certain aspects, Um you know, so the, the, this is all people had. This is what people had to believe in. And then in the movie, here comes science. Here, that is ultimately as referred to several times in the movie as real magic. Yes. <laughs> so here's something that can be explained. You know, here's something that you know it's not it's not a it's not a trick. It's real. It's 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 using elements from the earth and technology and stuff to create something. It's not you know seven days the earth was created. You know, so I don't right. think I don't think it's necessarily taking like any kind of like Bill Maher like position well, right, on religion right. or anything like that. It's not it's it's not bad mouthing religion. It's simply saying that that you know it's saying that I, I think there you you could construe that some of the, some of the stuff they're saying that it might be a little bit dangerous that you know if you believe too much in one aspect. It's it's not it's not even really about that. It's you know audiences like to be entertained. We like to, we like to believe. We want to believe. And that's in not stuff. a and and what I like about it is. Hugh Jackman is not uh he's not he's not taking pity upon an audience that likes he when in that final sort of grim monologue uh where he's talking about how the world is miserable and audiences yes. you know like he is not taking pity on them it's not the position of oh those poor stupid bastards they have no. to pretend that like cuz he is that audience yeah. there's that yeah. wonderful wonderful scene where him and Christian Bale are in the theater and you can t- and it's 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 one of my favorite uh one of my favorite like you want to talk about individual scenes about being a film fan uh mm-hmm. the two my two favorites are i believe um oh shit what was that uh oh Hannah and her sisters i believe is the movie in which Woody Allen finds out he's dying and he gets depressed and then he gets suicidal and then he sees the Marx Brothers movie and he and then he's just sort of gets out of it like that 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 you know he after <laughs> right. that week of sort of you know uh, of being in a funk about finding out he has he might possibly have cancer he just like the marx brothers movie goes oh no there's clearly things that are worth living and i uh, you know clearly reasons to keep living mm-hmm. uh all is not nothing because there's the marx brothers and i cannot argue with the fact that they bring me joy every time i think that is a, <laughs> one of the greatest scenes ever about uh being a film fan and sure. i believe the other uh, another one would be christian bale and a uh, Hugh Jackman in a crowded theater full of people who are just being dazzled and that's all they're being. They're sitting there and they're dissecting it and they're loving it just as much as the audience, but they're loving it on a completely different for a completely different reason. And I think about, you know, when me and my friends I, I think I saw it with you, Jim Inception, you know, we're sitting there and everyone else is just like, Wow, that was a crazy twist, right? I didn't see that coming. Like yeah, man, that zero G fight was great. And then me and you know, me and Jim are just like, uh, so you think it was like about about memories or you think you think dreaming is equating to feel like Yeah. That's another there's... it's such a great uh you know, Christian Nolan's clearly a huge fan of film and you know and I love that 
I love that it's not a it's such a small part of the movie, but it's so great and so true. Yeah, no, I, I like the idea that you said earlier that, you know, you could look again, you know, of all the things you could look at the prestige that it could be, you know, a very personal film. And, the you know, the idea that, you know, can, can you combine the idea of art and showmanship and still sort of keep your wits about you? You know, I, I would I would love to think that in 50 years that the prestige is sort of the vertigo of our time that was sort of misunderstood when it came out and it turned out to be, the, you know, sort of very real interesting personal film that also, hmm. you know, you know, vertigo is, you know, you want to talk about a movie about cold people. There's one right there, you know, so it's just like yeah. I don't I don't buy into that argument either. Um you know, and, uh, and, and there's there's also really interesting, you know, to, to explore the religious angle of the movie um, when uh, he sends Scarlett Johansson to spy on Borden in the movie, mm-hmm. and and she comes uh, she comes back to him and she, uh, she you know she's saying she thinks she's figured things out, and uh, he, and uh, Angier says to her, he you know he leaves those things lying around to fool you, yeah. which is essentially <laughs> the argument that sort of fundamentalists have when you hear people talk about dinosaur bones, like oh <laughs> you know it's like it was like well the, you know they he put those things down there to test you, yeah. you know to test your faith. And whatnot, and it's another one of those, you know. Again, he's—I mean—they're giving away the ending halfway through, and we don't want to believe it because we want to believe in the magic trick of magic or religion or film. And 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 what I and again, what I do like about it is, I I, I do wish that somewhere in Jackman's closing monologue, he did identify. I mean, obviously, he's dying. He's not—he's <laughs> not necessarily in a position to be optimistic, no. but. Uh, I don't think Nolan – again, I don't think Nolan is condemning that sort of wanting to wanting to feel something that you – Absolutely that not. That's not right. true. And I – so in that same way, you don't – you know, he's not condemning religion and people for wanting to believe no. it. No. Uh, so uh, that, that's, that's actually that's a very interesting point. Um, yeah, my mind is kind of blown. And this is, <laughs> no, but no, like – that, That's just it. it I mean – I think I'm just like I'm watching this movie because and loving it because I'm really intoxicated by movies where people become so obsessed with their craft or they have to express themselves or they have to put on a good show, you know, because it drives them. It's it, it, it not only, you know, not just for the for the sake of like gratification from an audience or whatever, but just because it's 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 in their blood. And for me, watching that process, whether it's, you know, whether if it's good or bad, like the way they execute, like especially Hugh Jackman's character later in the film, the way he decides, like, I'm going to do this, I don't care, and, you know, sort of just overlooks, you know, uh, empathy and sympathy and just wants to, you know, know the process. I don't know, like, to me, watching a movie like that, where, where these characters become so uh, overwhelmed by the idea of, I have to do this one thing. It, what, what, like, I think of, you know, even to some degree, Charlie Kaufman's character and adaptation. Like, I just have to get this script done. I'm, I'm just that watching that process unfold in any movie to me is really interesting. Just because, like, God knows I've been there when I've made a record or you know whatever. Even with writing something, I'm like, okay, this has to be perfect. Yeah, but I, and I, I will say the one thing about this movie that you can't say about, say, Dark Knight and Inception, which I would probably say are his most widely beloved, well, and Memento, like kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that this movie does not really have a uh, comic relief? There's not a really funny streak in this movie. It's, uh, it. I don't think it's light in any way. I don't think it's. There's. I mean, there. I there are a few jokes. I think. I think. 
Tesla. David Bowie is Tesla is pretty yeah, funny. I think that's yeah. I think that's our but I think for the most part, unlike I unlike say Inception where there's a lot of things that alleviate these big ideas and Dark Knight, mm-hmm. obviously the whole character of Heath Ledger uh, you know, is what people walk away remembering because that's just so entertaining, you know? Yeah. I don't think there's a similar element in this movie, which, again, not saying that makes this an inferior movie in any way, but I will say that is probably why I don't, as as like, as astonishing as it is, especially when you point out these things I never even thought of, uh, you know, to think about and to chew on and to consider, I don't enjoy this movie uh, nearly as much as something I would consider like an inferior movie like Dark Knight. Or, and this is probably why this movie is so misunderstood and sort of dismissed. Do you think that, though, that it's because it's coming from a guy like Christopher Nolan who has, you know, he, obviously he's done movies like Memento, like you said, it was sort of the, the perfect amalgamation of everything that he does right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that he does make movies that are for the for the. Better, you know, better part entertaining, so to speak. That you know, I mean, do people really like you know watch? You know, and I'm not trying to you know pick a fight or make a knock here, but on stuff like Tree of Life or Days of Heaven, do people really like watch movies like that and go, yeah, damn, I'm going to watch that and be entertained? Well, you know, I mean, it's a different type of experience. I'm, if I, yes. I will, I I, I, I can agree I, with inter- that. Inter- yeah, but I, I and and again, sometimes ex- I just want to go to be provoked and ex- well, expect- intellectually. Well, expectations yeah. expectations are a bitch always, <laughs> um, and especially sometimes, with yeah. especially now with the internet, I feel like there are so oh, many yeah. waves of oh, you got my hopes up. And oh, like, check out this image like, okay. of Catwoman. Uh, and... No, no, no. Well, it's also it's, <laughs> it's get me started. Like so many movies, it goes in this way, which is this movie looks totally shitty, and then early screenings, <laughs> and then early screenings come back, and people are like, you know, this movie's actually pretty good. And then someone right. who liked it a little more than everyone else feels bolstered and goes, no, this movie's really, really good. And then yeah, yeah. and then people start sort of trying to pick fights to turn this movie into the movie that the little engine that could and then when it comes out audiences are like well that was okay and it was certainly better than the trailers made it look but it wasn't great you kind of just explained my experience with fright night yeah because like the first time i heard they were making a fright night remake i'm like fuck that and then all of a sudden everybody's like oh it's it's actually really really good and then you see it and then you're like like, oh it wasn't really really good that was two that was that was that was two reallys that you didn't need to be there yeah and no and then and then and then there are the people who don't see it in theaters and they uh, been, but they hear all their friends being like you know it wasn't as great as everyone said it was yeah. and then their expectations get lowered and then they see it on dvd and they're like no this is really good <laughs> like yeah i think one of the greatest losses and one of the greatest sort of casualties of film criticism in general especially with the wave of tweeting and all this kind of stuff that's going on there, there's a severe loss of perspective yes out mm-hmm. there it's mm-hmm. just you know and like everything you just said about expectations is you know it, it's true no matter you know what era we're living in that's just that's just the nature of the beast it's just like you know in 1993 you couldn't find anyone who didn't like jurassic park and then later on just like oh that wasn't movie wasn't any good you know it's just like you know backlash is just Happen because everyone write, you write a wave and then all yeah. of a sudden the next that person goes oh I've been hearing a month of good stuff about this movie and then it sucks yeah you know, uh, that's why I, I always I feel, I I preface like... my attack the block review saying like I'm not reacting to the hype I yeah, saw it on no. the first screening I know and I and I'm, and I'm certainly maybe would I should not just accuse you of that walk but... into drive yeah, thinking right. it's gonna suck 
Yeah. Right, <laughs> right well, exactly. But, uh, or Warrior, for that I, matter. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I, th- I think I think that happened to Sucker Punch. I think that went through, like, four waves of people backlashing against it, and then backlash, and then backlashing against the backlash against the back. Yeah. That, was, that gets annoying after But I would say, um, I mean, I think Tree of Life, I enjoyed on a purely visceral level, the same way people claim that, I mean, I don't understand how you can enjoy, say, Transformers, where the action is so horribly shot and... In, and edited together. Well, you um, can turn off your brain and just right, have no, a good like, time. I just, I just like, but it's like, to me, like trying to get lost in the spectacle of a movie like that is like trying to masturbate to scrambled porn. It's like, it's <laughs> like I would love to, I would love to see the spectacle, but I can't see it, so I can't get enjoyed. You can't engage. Yeah, whereas it. a yeah. really well-edited action scene... Yeah, like you know, killer. The, the ending of uh, Hard Boiled is not a uh, is, is not some brilliant manifesto on you know on themes. It's just super fucking exciting because people are getting shot up and shit. You know, yeah. Right. Um, but it happens to be really well shot. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, my point is, uh, I Tree of Life. I did enjoy on a very visceral you know level. I think I would put that on just to enjoy it. But I understand what you're saying, and I think if people are going into Prestige looking for a thriller. And again, I think that was sort of at the tail end of where Shyamalan was still. Thankfully, I think the Shyamalan uh, sort of setting people up to look for twists and to watch movies more actively. I think ended in two thousand four. Well, yeah, yeah. right, right. But I think that I think the positive effect of that is it allowed people it allowed people like Chris Nolan to make these super heady and smart movies, and it allowed people to not just and allowed mainstream audiences. I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, people, film lovers always love, you know, smart movies, but I think, mm-hmm. I think it's sort of trained mainstream audiences to not necessarily want anything smarter, but at least to be more active viewers and to look for clues. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is, uh, but I think, I think prestige was still sort of at the tail end of that. I don't think people were, I think if prestige came out after inception, I think people would hmm. responded much better because I think that's Inception, probably true. Because Inception is a movie that you have to pay attention to in order to, right? Whereas Prestige, you can just watch it as the tale of two magicians who hate each other, and it's not right. that entertaining that way. You know, yeah. <laughs> if if you don't consider, which is which, and I know that because that's the way I first saw it, and that's why I hate it. By the way, I will say, first time I ever saw it, uh, I I have a friend uh, who I believe. I Jim might know the name of the disease, off, disease offhand, but I believe she has like this, this disorder where she can't tell faces apart. Oh yeah, she can't identify faces. Um, she we watched yeah. me and my friend Tony watched this movie with her. She did not know like this is how bad it was. She didn't know that Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman were two different characters. That's a problem during this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we were like, like she said, she was like, wait, I don't, and she, and like we tried to explain it to her, and then it it very became it became evident that she didn't. There's oh. like a lot bigger problem, and then we yeah. showed her the we showed her the DVD cover with you know both their faces on it, and we said these are two different people. You see them side by side, and she goes, she like pauses, she goes. You guys are trying to trick me. <laughs> I think you're referring to prosa pre, prosa pregnosia or something. God, I love like you, that. Jim. I love that big brain sh- I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> so, but there should uh, be a movie about that. Next. It's a great title for a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Christopher Nolan's prosa yeah, pregnoria. That would be a very Christopher Nolan-y kind of a movie. Uh, anyway, I'd be all for of, that. I would like to see him do. I'd like to see him do something low key again, like well, low budget. I. I was, I'm sure uh, we're going to get that after Dark so. Knight Rises. Um, yeah. Because yeah. he's done that with, I mean, like, in between both Batman and Dark Knight, 
He's yeah. done original work. And so and but and you know, not not compromised original work like you right. would say Insomnia was, you know. Um, uh, well, I mean, Insomnia is based on a film. Prestige is based on a book. Well, but uh, but I feel Insomnia was like a Hollywood project that he didn't necessarily originate, and he didn't. And oh, right. It, well, that was a. Well, I mean, that's a period. I mean, you look at how. I think it's very interesting to sort of look at the the career path of like Christopher Nolan compared to say someone like Brian Singer, for example. Yeah. <laughs> you, look at, I mean, you look at how many directors that sort of break out with sort of a big indie sensation. You know, whether it be a hit or just a critical. I, that's a very like, good comparison because Usual yeah. Suspects had a very similar thing where people were like, yeah, "Oh, and then yeah. start doing comic book movies." Um, and Usual and, Suspects uh, is a movie that the ending actually it does diminish when you watch it again, unlike unlike Memento. Well, the the thing about Usual Suspects is that the entire movie is a lie, right? You know, and that that's the that's the twist is that the entire movie is a lie, and you just have to deal with it, and or you know whatever. But you know, but yeah, you're absolutely right in that Insomnia is because when you see Memento and you 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 get you know everything that's going on in that movie and you respond to it so well you like Jim said you want to see what Christopher Nolan's going to do next yeah. and you know, sometimes it's not going to be something he gets to do he d- he does insomnia I was like okay so I go into insomnia I'm like okay this is going to be you know how how is the guy from Memento going to respond to do, do this remake and I love insomnia I don't know? I don't and, and, and if insomnia is like the weakest of the Nolan movies, you know, post Memento, that that's it's still a four star movie. Mostly, well, mostly due to the I, climax. I do wanna, let's let's talk about let's talk about. Uh, um, we don't. I mean, the last previous episodes we've gone over whole filmographies, but I find that to be kind of frustrating. Uh, not that in Nolan's case it would be a big problem because he really hasn't done a lot right. of movies yet. But, but we did Woody Allen. That but was... yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's frustrating because it it usually devolves into. So has anyone seen this? <laughs> like, <laughs> not a, so I thought um, from now on what we could do is each uh, person gets to pick one other Nolan movie to talk about. Um, right. I'd like to begin with Batman Begins because I really don't like this movie, and I'd like to discuss it with you guys. Um, okay. Number one, I think it's ugly as sin. Um, I think it's brown, like brown, 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 brown. I think it's a really <laughs> ugly movie. I would totally agree with that, actually. And it's like I maybe you know, obviously, I'm when you rewatch something and you kind of you're more in tune with like, oh, well, this is what cinematography is more than the first time you saw. It. I mean, obviously, it's like. Yeah, tone and color, saturation, those things play a big role the, in how it's, you it's perceive like, something. It's almost like a later like Tim Burton movie where he just like yeah. with color correction he just fucks a movie and to feel lifeless. Um, That's very interesting on a number of levels, but go on. Because <laughs> I've already got a response to that. It's just it's 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 interesting that you open with that. Well, the, it, go I, on. Th- I feel like he was just trying to aim for. I am going to make this darker in every way. I, I, well, here, I, here's why I find that funny. Okay. I'll tell you why I find that funny. I'm, okay, so you got the, you know, the Batman reboot after the two disastrous Joel Schumacher movies. Yes, Particular, particularly Batman and Robin, because Batman Partic- Forever was a success. Particularly, yes. But both movies, both of those movies were very colorful, a lot lighter. And cartoony. You know, sort of they mm-hmm. straight away, cartoony, exactly, straight away from the darkness angle. So, yes, so he chose to go the sort of the... the the Batman we want, the sort of the perception of the, you know, how dark the first Tim Burton Batman was. When you look at it now, and it's like, okay, it's some pretty art direction, but it's not really that dark a movie right. compared to Batman Begins. Um, and then I, and I also find it funny because one of the criticism I, I've heard from people who dislike the Dark Knight is that the Dark Knight feels more like Chicago than Gotham. And here you're kind of arguing that <laughs> Batman Begins looks too much like Gotham. Well, I, 
I don't, I mean, I'm not a big reader of comics, so I can't say it looks too much like Gotham. I do say it looks too much like, like, like shit. <laughs> that comes out of someone, you well, know? I mean, I don't think you have to know comics too much to know that Garth Gotham is a shit place. Well, so, but, but know, it doesn't. That, that's I've, very I've read some of them. It's. I don't. I like. I mean, he's going. For, I mean, I. I uh, Dark Knight felt more like Heat. Um, Batman Begins is not a like structurally. Batman Begins is way different from Dark Knight, um, and I think tonally it's way different from Dark Knight. So I think Dark Knight's. Uh, I think Dark Knight does look a lot like Chicago. I don't mind that because I think it's a realistic city in that. I don't think it's supposed to be some kind of uh, diseased hellhole. Mm-hmm. And there's um, also a point to that. There's also a point to it actually being a lot more in the daytime in the, in, in the second movie because a lot of the crime has been cleaned up by right. Batman and you know the Harvey Dent well, character at the beginning of the movie. I feel like that mm-hmm. is pretty much the only glimpse that you're given into that Gotham is now a hellhole. You don't really get to see any of the way God people Gotham live as compared to dark Knight, where you see the city reacting. There's not mm-hmm. much of that at all in Batman begins. So it ends up being like, I understand people have told me it's like, well, no, this is literally supposed to be the color of decay. Cause this is a city, but that's like pretty much the only, uh, sort of, um, I mean, you're being told, Oh, this city's gone to hell. Um, and then you see that it's Brown. <laughs> I guess I guess all the blanks are supposed to be filled in from just being told it, as opposed to Dark Knight, which shows how the, what the city's like by showing it. And again, they're different movies, but I think I think that making and if you don't find the movie ugly, then it's not a problem for you. But I feel right. like they made the entire movie really ugly um, to make to do this point, which probably was not so important on such um, one of the movies so much more about Bruce than it is about Gotham. Uh, also, I mean. I think the action scenes in both I, – I think the chase scene in Dark Knight's great, but I think the fight yeah. scenes in both Batman Begins and Dark Knight are horrible. Probably – I mean Nolan can film action. He filmed it in Insomnia. The chase, He filmed it uh, – Inception. Inception. Yeah. He, uh, I mean the, the snow fort is kind of incomprehensible because yeah. everyone's I'm looks the same. In the, uh, but I mean the fight scene in uh, – the zero-G fight scene is amazing. The uh, – <laughs> You know, Leonardo DiCaprio's chase uh, through whatever city that Mombasa. was. Mombasa. Yeah, Mombasa, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets a little – that one part gets a little silly when he's, like, trying to pretend like he the walls are closing in on him. But, I mean, we'll talk more about that later because – Love that moment. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. There's yeah. different interpretations. <laughs> but uh, I think pr- he's probably fight like, he was probably just fighting around the fact that no one can really move in the bat suit. And therefore – but at the same time, that means – you have this person who you are told is a ninja, and you are told, like, now you can make yourself disappear, but we'll make you invisible. And then his first sort of <laughs> appearance as Batman in which he shows up behind uh, Commissioner Gordon in the police office station, and then he runs away. He's, like, clumsily <laughs> running across. Like, <laughs> like well, I thought you were, like, super fucking huge League of Shadows ninja, and you're... And you're sort of stumbling around on a police department roof right. instead of being able to disappear. Uh, and then, you know, his action scenes aren't very ninja-like throughout the movie, mm-hmm. except for the first scene where he's disappearing and coming back. Yeah. That's a problem. I hate, hate, hate Rachel Dawes uh, in that movie. I think she, her character, like, exists only to just spout off the themes of the movie and to just be like, justice! Brr! We want to fight crime! Brr! And so she's annoying. I uh, Pretty much the nicest thing I can say about Batman Begins is it got enough good actors in it um, Tom so, Wilkinson. 
Yeah, well, I love. I love. I think Tom Wilkinson's one of the only people in the movie with a real personality. Yeah, there's like a million weird plot holes in Batman Begins that make no sense. Like Bruce Wayne disappears for like nine years in the, the mountains of, of China or, or Asia or whatever, and then he comes back out of nowhere covered in mud. Um, and Alfred picks him up and he goes, "I got to become a symbol." And Alfred's just like. Yeah, that makes sense. Symbol. Okay, what kind of symbol? <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, I see, you've become an opium addict. <laughs> like, I'm more inclined to agree with you on this one, Patrick, after a rewatch. I was okay with it the first time I saw it. I don't think it's a but, horrible movie. Uh, no, I don't think it's a horrible movie either. It's certainly better that, than Batman and Robin, and it's uh, probably better than Batman Forever, I though I like people, Batman Forever better. People, just start a drinking game, okay, with this movie. <laughs> And every time somebody says the word fear, just take a drink <laughs> and you'll be fucking wasted. You'll be dead. Because I'm just like, like I'm, oh, man, I'm willing to accept the use of that word fear in defending your life. But um, here it's just like that theme is rammed down your throat. Like, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? How are you going to conquer your fear? I'm like, oh, man. Like, and that's just that that has definitely been toned down a lot more in the Dark Knight. Like, I was kind of hard on Dark Knight when I first saw that, too. Oh, really? But I've had, like, a reversal <laughs> where I don't really like Batman Begins, but I, l- I really like Dark Knight up until the last act. I know, and then Batman Begins, it goes through such pains. I'm just more indifferent to it because it, this it Batman through, is indifferent. It goes through such pains to establish itself as realistic and existing in the real world, and then in the end, it's like, what happens? Well, it's like, well, they got a magic device that shoots crazy water into your soul like (laughs) (laughs) and plus the the the, the, which is like if that if that was in if that was in captain america it would not feel out of place people wouldn't be like what that's not like if that was in uh, but captain america is supposed to take place in the real world too i mean mean, if that was in potion if that was in if that was in batman and robin that would not feel out of place that was in tank girl like that's that's a very super comic booky kind of a thing number two i like uh scarecrow the sort of because you like again, I feel like it's. I feel like Batman Begins uh, was enough of a success critically, and then later, apparently, like everyone tells me, oh, that was a movie that found its real audience on DVD, but it was in the top ten like box office returns of that year. It made two hundred million dollars. Yeah, it was. It was no, you know, skin chicken at there. Yeah, but anyway, so I feel like that gave that and the sort of surprise success. I would say. I'm sure studios were nervous about releasing something as intelligent as Prestige, but if the size, sort of minor success of Prestige, they're like, okay, we're going to give you carte blanche and Dark Knight. I feel like there's a lot of studio meddling in Batman Begins. I feel like there's no reason for Scarecrow to be there. Um, and there are two elements that have been used in other movies where, like, that, that toxic hallucinogen... <laughs> I was thinking, re- re-watching this, I, I was thinking of young Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, that was mm-hmm. used before, and you know, the the climactic thing on the train not that exciting. No, especially also, in hindsight with Spider Man Two. Also, also, uh, I love that Batman's like, "I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you." And it's like, I thought you were a crime fighter. Why are you arguing semantics? Like you, <laughs> you're clearly <laughs> like bringing this person to his death. Like, yeah, you know, like that person wouldn't have died if you weren't there. You killed him. Don't. You right. know, like there's a lot of holes like that, and I mean, there's a lot of holes in Dark Knight, but that's so much more enjoyable and so much yeah. more interesting. And um, but anyway, that's those are my problems. Okay. Batman Begins, uh, Eric, Eric. Do you have any real? Um, well, I remember 
very specifically uh, seen this movie. I, I saw this movie. I didn't even see it at a press screen. I saw it uh, uh, with, with friends of mine on a Saturday night. Um, and I remember, like, immediately after the movie was over, like, you know, he, you know, you, I, I never said thank you, and you'll never have to. And he flies to the screen. Batman Begins comes up. My friend and I looked at each other and go, now that was a Batman movie. That was the Batman movie that Tim Burton probably could have made in 1989 with the same story and the, the same ideas, but he didn't. And here we finally got it. And I can so is that... it is it you, you're happy that you saw the character as opposed to Tim Burton, who clearly didn't really have much of an interest in the comics. Uh, well, see, I'm not a comic book guy, so I right. don't know. I don't have that sort of that the the history with all the knowledge and knowing you know everything that goes on in the comics I know so when what you I say know that's a Batman, Batman Superman so, but, and whatnot. but when you say that's a Batman movie what does that mean to you well it means to me that that you know, the the ideas of who the the Batman character is and you know how he's able to fight crime without having all these superpowers and whatnot it to me it is the best comic book origin story ever made period. I don't. I don't think you know. I think the uh, the only thing that comes close is the first Superman movie, um, but a movie that has absolute respect for the character, and I think with the real world sort of settings that it has, um, and how uh, how they they treat the idea that he's the, the the billionaire playboy and that he has to be uh, how he has to sort of disguise himself as Batman. And, I do like his Bruce uh, Wayne. Uh, yeah, I do too. right, exactly, and. You know, to, you know to, I I found this movie just completely, uh, almost flawless from beginning to end. You know, oh, I, you know, I'm listening oh. to you guys talk about it now, and you know, we're having a good laugh about it. Right. Uh, but I I don't entirely agree with you know some of your points. I think you, I, I don't know. It, it seems like you 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 didn't again like we talked about earlier is that you didn't like it so much the first time and now you've sort of now you've sort of picked it apart little by little and I really li- actually I really liked it after I walked out of the theater I said that was great okay. um, yeah. I was, I was I, okay I, with I, it I was, I was I remember I did not like the first act the first time I saw it and I still don't like it I know a lot of people yeah. had problems with the third act uh, I, I, I didn't have as much with that I thought the first was really boring but uh, I mean it's just maybe it's just like everything I want out of a movie uh, mm-hmm. A superhero movie is like I'll tell you my three favorite superhero movies Go. are Batman nineteen eighty nine, Tank Girl, and Superman three. So he likes a little camp. I I want it <laughs> okay. Um, so that so that really explain that explains so much. <laughs> I mean, so much those are those are all those are all like shit. those are all movies that you can that you know Batman especially. Uh, and you can pick apart and and the same way I picked apart Batman Begins and point out yeah. all of its flaws, but I just love the aesthetic of it so much that it carries me. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel in I don't think as much I feel the aesthetic of Batman Begins I hate so much that it carries me in the opposite direction. Uh, so there's probably truth to what you're saying. Um, I think not... it's, it's pro- it seems to me that it's it, it treated it with so much seriousness. I mean, why so serious? You know. Uh, that it treated with so much respect that it just – it's not what you wanted to see. It's, well, you wanted to see something a little more campier, I feel something like, a little bit more about the guy in a rubber suit or whatever. I feel – well, I mean you want to you talk about character stories. I think Superman 3 has a lot more interesting I, – I feel Superman 3 tackles the concept of the struggle between being Clark Kent and being Superman. I That's a very character-driven movie until, of course, the third act, which is – 
It um, is? <laughs> no, it is. It's totally. Watch really? it. I mean, watch it again. It's a very character-driven movie about um, – I mean, there, there's a reason that uh, Lois Lane isn't in it at all. It's because uh, it's Clark Kent going back to his high school reunion. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's sort of him realizing all these things he left behind and – uh, and then quite literally he gets split into two and there's an evil Superman and a, and there's an evil where his powers become evil and then his goodness is weak. So he becomes Clark Kent and then Superman becomes this megalomaniac. Megalomani- I can't even. Megalomaniac. Yeah, he He's- becomes – no, dude, Michael he's drunk. Michael. Yeah. Yeah. He's, the guy is drunk. I don't. I think, uh, and mate, you are might be a little bit too. But uh, the reason Lois Lane isn't in that movie is because they didn't want to pay Margot Kidder. Well, it has nothing saying, to do with the story they wanted I, well, to tell. I, listen, okay, uh, I, I don't. I I don't think that. I, I feel if it works, it works. And sometimes I feel, uh, and we talked about this on the Tim Burton episode. I I feel that sometimes compromise is good for a director like Tim Burton. I feel like he doesn't have to compromise at all anymore, and that's why his movies are kind of up their own ass. And I mm-hmm. feel like – okay, another example. Batman, uh, Prince on the soundtrack. Everyone hates that because they're like, oh, it feels so dated. It feels so 80s. But the and way it's, it's – also Prince. Well, I, you, you hey, don't, well if you don't like hey, Prince hey, – hey, hey. I mean, Prince I can sucks. understand – <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, you I just – you, well, you said it incorrectly, but um, but anyway, I mean, the Batman soundtrack you can definitely say sucks. But the way it's – and you can say, oh, well, the only reason that's in it is because of studio meddling. But the way it's used is it makes sense, which is as Joker's theme music. Like I, I don't care what, what reason a thing is there. Um, I, I feel if you want to look – like, you know, I will give Christopher Nolan credit that I think Batman Begins feels compromised because the studio you know, was nervous about another Batman movie. Um, and they needed a villain, even though Scarecrow really has no business in the story. And his ending is literally he gets tased and rides away on a horse. Yeah, <laughs> like... don't you think if don't you think if the studio? I mean, I, I I don't disagree that they were probably a little bit nervous and handing again. This is a, a, a mega project for a director who's only been established with you know an indie sensation and a, a remake that did like fifty sixty million dollars over the summertime. The you know a couple years prior. Um, so I, I can understand that you believe that there might have been some compromise in there, but don't you think if there was any real true compromise on the part or, or in, interference on the way, on the part of the studio that they would have been pushing to have the Joker or the Riddler or someone like that in the movie as opposed to Catwoman? I mean, um, Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul no. as your villains, two two villains that your average Batman fan that uh, that I didn't even know about. Going well, no, into that movie, no, mm-hmm. because I mean, obviously Nolan, obviously Nolan didn't want the villain to upstage Batman. But I feel the movie would be stronger if there was no villain at all. I feel the compromise is having a super villain in it. But at the same time, I feel the reason it's so dark and so serious, uh, and the reason the studios went with that is because the same is for the same reason. That, you know, they look back at Batman nineteen eighty nine, and the reason everyone was so surprised at how dark that movie was because before that. Batman and mainstream, you know, media outside of comics was Adam West. West yeah, Adam right. West. Um, and it's right. the same way. Uh, there are things in Batman and Robin that Adam West would just be like, "What the fuck? That's stupid." Yeah, <laughs> you know? they, they, they saw the failure of Batman and Robin, and wanted so they to make wanted the complete, to go in the other direction, yeah, the and, antithesis of that. And, that's, and again, this is a post nine eleven movie. These are more dour kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm willing to go with that more in the Dark Knight than than this one, but I don't know. Maybe maybe there is just some sort of disconnect with me in comic book anyway. movies in general. But just give me Spider Man too, please. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just say that every time. 
I mean, if you want to talk about you know a studio compromising a director, it's Spider Man Three. Well, yeah. Where, I, you know, I, can, I mean, yeah, Sam Raimi wanted to use well, the Sandman for some reason. Now, like, well, Get now you in there. Well, that, well, that argument is well, that isn't because here's another case of that being greater, which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily an argument against. But anyway, um, Jim, Inception, Inception. You want to talk about Inception? Please. We, we've touched on a lot, but uh, God, do I love this movie okay, so much? I'm go ahead. I I do love this movie. Mm-hmm. This was definitely this high up in my top ten from last year, and I still really love it. Yeah, hate, hate, hate the exposition, and I hate that I it's, the entire movie is exposition. I and don't. I hate how clunky it is. <laughs> I do, and okay, especially maybe, on a second like the first another time, common complaint. M- maybe well, it's, it's clunky. It's true. I mean, but I, I feel it, it was necessary in order to do the things he did. So I can ex- like if if we'd the rest be lost. of Inception, we'd be lost yeah. if these well, the, would, that doesn't, it wasn't that explained. Doesn't, but that doesn't make those scenes any less just annoying. I, not I, for that's, me. But that's the reason I that's the reason I'm able to accept it and not say it sinks the movie. And I can still say what I love it. What about the majority of the Matrix? I mean, you know, Morpheus again, is you're explained. Using, exactly. you're, you, but you're again, you're using. You're not talking about Inception right now. I'm not. I'm not saying anything about. It the doesn't Matrix. matter. But you, if you're going to use the argument for one movie, then you have to use the argument for the other. That's, no. That's every mo- number one. Much. Every movie's different. Number two, you don't know how I feel about the Matrix. I don't like the Matrix nearly as much as I like Inception. So <laughs> you know, before you start picking a, a movie, you know, you can. There's a million movies with worse but, exposition than Inception. That doesn't mean exposition has. Uh, that doesn't mean Inception has good exposition. But it doesn't mean that all exposition is bad either. Right. I mean, movie, no, but in this, again, but I'm talking. Movie. I'm talking like, about yeah. this. Again, I feel like you're deflecting in this specific movie. It is bad. And the first time you see it, you don't Not mind that. so much because you're you're still discovering it. But once you know all the rules and you're watching again, unlike something like Memento, where it feels very natural and it feels occurring and the way he has to keep explaining things um, to all of the people he meets makes sense and it everything feels natural. This just feels like... We have to stop the movie for 10 minutes to explain the concept of limbo for you. Okay, movie can go back on. Okay, we got to stop the movie again because we got to tell you how Leo knows all this. All right, movie back on. Like, it's really, really clunky, the exposition. Now, that is my single greatest complaint, and I will say the movie is astonishing. I think the Zero-G fight's amazing. I think I I love its pacing. I love that it's a long, big, epic movie Mm -hmm. that is that really just keeps getting to the point of everything. Again, it's all no waste, not a wasted frame. I like the reinforcement upon rewatching of the exposition, the ideas, how 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 they navigate through the system. I think it's positive reinforcement, whereas you're thinking of it as negative reinforcement. What do you mean by that? I mean like. Having that experience rewatching it and hearing these things told back, I realize that people can watch and it's like, well, since I already know this stuff, why do I need to re-experience that? And now uh-huh. it feels forced or clunky or right. however you want to put it. Because it I, feels less like the characters and more like the screenwriter doing it. But and then, but what do you mean by positive reinforcement? I mean that like having that reoccurring experience of hearing these ideas retold back is a positive reinforcement to me. It's like hearing that over and over and over again. Like, I like having that but experience. But what do you like about it? What do I like? Everything. You... Because it stirs the ideas about dreams no, and the unconscious. No, 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 no. And... The, the ideas of dreams and unconscious feel 
very separate from the specific rule. Like the well, fact that if you die in the second level of Inception, you go to limbo has no bearing on how you think about dreams. That has nothing to do with anything. That has no bearing on reality in which you but die. But in this in world, it does. No, but that's the point. So they're only saying it up so they can tell the story. So it doesn't have anything to do with the ideas that you like to chew on. Mm-hmm. It's it's not... it. Unlike, am I just projecting again? <laughs> am I because I mean that to me, it's a subjective experience, obviously. But right. when I'm experiencing this movie for the third or fourth time, I'm not finding it tiresome to hear exposition again. I'm finding it as invigorating as I did the first time, and that's just my own even, personal I experience. It, I thought it was clunky the first time, so I didn't even well, find it invigorating. But I, I, I can did. find it clunky in Batman Begins because I'm tired of hearing about fear over and over and over again. So I can I can understand your point. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm more of just saying that this experience of rewatching it and hearing those, you know, words spoken back again doesn't bother me. As I can see it bothering other people, that's fine. Uh-huh. But I love being in this world and reliving. So you what you, they you, go you love through. the mechanics of the world. The mechanics so much. of the world, yeah. Sure. That's those are the things, and I and to be fair, I but do, it also I stirs too. ideas in me. That's true, and I that's actually I will I will I will definitely concede that because when I after I saw it again, I was thinking this movie obviously needs no sequel because it's a story about Leonardo DiCaprio's character right. and his his story's done. But the world in which uh, if you go down a level, like a week can take mm-hmm. like an like an hour in the real world takes a week, or I think it's like nine hours in the real world takes a week yeah. in the first level, like. Um, like I love, I love the idea that there could be something like a, like a political thriller existing, <laughs> where, where the inception, where you're planning ideas and people changing identities and stuff, is less of an action slam bang kind of action movie, yeah, and more of a, you know, more of a almost a uh, an espionage kind of a thing. And as we, you know, and as we agreed on after watching it together, it, it totally seemed to me like a commentary on the filmmaking process. Yes. And, like, there's some weird, like, meta things, like, using the Edith Piaf song in this movie, whereas uh, Marion Cotillard played Edith Piaf in the movie. And, of course, the, the, when you slow that song down, it becomes the wah sound <laughs> on the soundtrack. That's tr- Have you ever yeah. listened to, the, to that song, Slow Down? No. Where the, op- the opening... Uh, there's something Aww. on the YouTube. I'll show you it. Hmm. You we'll slow it down like even further, it becomes David Keith's thing in Firestarter. Exactly. I heard your impression last week. Very good. That's like all yeah. I remember about that movie. Yeah, oh, you want to hear mine? <laughs> yes. Ready? Okay, hold on. Let me get into the mood here. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like David Keith's impression of a vibrator. I like, yeah, I know. I like, um, I like an inception that he says, uh, the thing that immediately, uh, originally I wasn't even thinking about filmmaking because, you know, I was too busy following the script, but when he goes, mm-hmm. when he's like, things begin and you don't remember how they got there. I'm like, Oh, that's editing. Yep. And then, and then I started to review the rest of the movie. And if you, when, and then when going back and watching it, even the way he, Christopher Nolan edits the movie, uh, he cuts into scenes a lot deeper than I think most people, you know, a typical mm-hmm. story would, um, where it begins a lot later in the scene. Um, yeah. and scenes at different locations and time passes a lot quicker uh, and things jump around a lot more than the average movie. And now there are a million theories about this movie. And again, I, some of them don't really work for me. There like the whole, pe- the whole movie was a dream. Some people think the whole movie, in, including the idea that people can go inside of dreams, yeah. was a dream. Okay. Yeah, that's, 
Well, there I are think people. Those, uh, theories are bullshit. Yeah. Well, well the most there are people like even when like we were talking earlier about that scene where Leonardo DiCaprio gets trapped in that, um, uh, you know, the walls the wall. are closing. The in walls them. are closed, which like, is a oh, common oh, dream thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. And it's like people could you know so make that at that point assessment. he's not in the real world. Then there were never ones. But here's the problem: there are a lot of scenes that don't have Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Someone told me, yeah. "Oh, I have dreams all the time where I'm where I'm nowhere in a in a moment." And I go, "I've I, but I've never had a dream where I'm outside of myself." Right. I've had dreams where I'm hanging out with Ellen Page. Well, I mean, I, my mm-hmm. point is, <laughs> but we won't go. We won't go into this. Yeah, because uh, let's let's be honest. By hanging out, you don't mean chilling. You you mean a certain something was outside of your pants. But let's wow. go ahead and. Uh, <laughs> Say, let's go ahead. And I want to give a mad prop, you know, to um, the cinematographer for this movie too, and I just want to say Fister. His name, Wally Fister, the Fister. Yeah. Got to give him props for this because again, amazing Ellen stuff. Page dreams, but <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> oh, it was God. not intended at all. I don't want to have that. Would be a nightmare where I'm fisting someone. Uh, oh, but God. yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. But I don't think it can all be Leonardo DiCaprio's dream because there are scenes without him in it. Mm-hmm. And have you ever had a dream where you weren't in in it? Not where I was not involved in not not involved in something that was going on. Right, no. like I've where you see at, events yeah. happening where you're not even in. Yeah, your... I've looked in the mirror and I'm like, oh, why am I this person? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you are someone else, and someone yeah. you know is played mm-hmm. by someone. You yeah. know, which Tom Hardy, which was very clever. Right, so it's like, oh, it was you, but it wasn't you. <laughs> that sort of. Yeah. Number one, again, another meta thing: casting Tom Hardy as the mm-hmm. person who can completely change his. Uh, identity after Bronson. Yeah, <laughs> which, which, I remember the first time I saw fuck. first time I saw uh, Tom Hardy like a picture of the actor. I was like, "Get the fuck out of here, that pretty boy!" Yeah, no way no he's Bronson. Like I thought it was a different Tom Hardy. Like I was right. sure that well, that's probably some American Tom Hardy who's in some WB <laughs> show. He's so <laughs> handsome. I'm looking at the I'm looking for the Australian Tom Hardy. You know? Yeah. No, I mean again, like the the reason this is probably my favorite Christopher Nolan movie again is a personal bias. Much like how much I love tra- time travel movies, I love movies about dreams. Yes. So. Um, and, That's I, all there is and, and again, a lot of people I've seen a lot of people complain like, "Oh, none of the dreams were surreal at all." And it's like Shut up. Yeah, dreams, yeah. Like that's like getting mad that it isn't specific. That's like getting mad about a movie about a relationship because like I've never had a relationship like that. The, it's like, well, fuck you. You don't have to. The <laughs> dreams are I'm... being designed specifically by an architect. They're not going to make them purposely surreal. They're trying to gather information and stuff. Yeah. You know. I mean, and it's again, this is this is a movie that there are so many angles to to take. One, you know, to comment on all the theories about what's a dream and whatnot. You know, Christopher Nolan is is a director and, and a screenwriter, which he you know is that two you know memento and inception how do both those films did not win best original screenplay or beyond me but he he's a he's a guy that plays absolutely fair with the audience yes and you know even though you know the the the, uh, inception ends with that quick fade out it's a fade out or or fade to black or cut to black immediately because he's given you the, the final piece of the puzzle right there yeah the 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 top begins to wobble it's not. A, it's he's in reality. That's his reality. Does the, it's yeah, not plus, a dream. The top plus, plus, plus to I know. I, I, the I, just, looks like just, it, was, it, start, it just starts just to wobble a little bit, and, and the, the, the the soundtrack goes up and cut to black. And I think that it's also a reveal when he finally sees the kids' faces. Yeah, because all yes, before that he never is. did. You never saw the kids' faces. Right. So also, once, parallel between Inception and Prestige, Michael Caine, you know, delivers the protagonist back to his children. Ah. Okay. Other, and then there's no, the other, other the other idea thing. is yeah. that um the real inception was that 
was that his his wife Mal. The other theory is that his wife Mal kept going into his dreams trying to get him out because uh, she was <laughs> actually correct in that she it was her reality. What yeah. she was, re- and then and then because there's switched. that line where Michael Caine has where he he's like, "Come back, come for back, reality." reality. Yeah. And like people are like, "Oh, this is Michael Caine trying to get him to." But I don't. I don't really buy it because. And there's another. I think someone tells tells someone to wake up at some point. You know. The, uh, see, I mean, yeah. I, mean, I think he throws those in as little v- gags at the audience. Little again, a little red herring suggesting that like, ooh, some, this might not to, all be real. And to me, uh, and again, and again, because it makes I, it, these are little things that key the audience in. All right, you got to be an active viewer. You know. Yes. And yeah. That's an important part of being a director is letting the audience know. I mean, at least, especially if you're going to be Christopher Nolan, where you're going to make movies that are about big ideas, but also right. be mainstream. You gotta, yeah. you gotta let, you gotta take the audience and put them in the place where they they can start following it on their own. And no people, people, by the way, anyone, if if you ever complain that oh, Inception's too confusing, I just, I just automatically like, oh, you don't like thinking when you watch movies right. <laughs> because well, it's yeah. not, it's not hard to follow on. Now, if you want to try to wrap your head around these theories that people have about mm-hmm. different – like, oh, it's all a dream and this is – like, those can be hard to follow. And, but the movie as presented is not hard to follow. Right. No. And Especially with all that exposition stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I know. It's, it's not confusing. It's a very simple the, – the layout's pretty simple when you get right down to the, the entire movie as a whole. And, like, Nolan is a director – Again, I've probably brought this up in the past. Nowadays, I'm myself even prone to multitasking while watching a movie. Like, the the computer will be on, the the phone will be on. I'll be you know playing Scrabble, whatever. Just like <laughs> any number of things, because now it's to, all about multitasking. I've, I've had to stop myself where if it's a movie I've seen before, mm-hmm. I'll allow myself to be on the computer. But if sure. I've never seen it before, I just close the computer. Right. Like, With Nolan's movies, everything goes yeah, off, yeah. and I just completely immerse myself in it. And I, that's 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 the sign of a great filmmaker, right there. Eric, did you want to touch on uh, following real quick? Oh that- yeah, well yeah. Following is a sort of an, uh, following is obviously the the film that I've probably seen the least of all the Same. Nolan films. Um, I actually just watched it again today just to prepare for this, um, and it's 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 an interesting film now when you consider the bulk of Nolan's work. Sure. I guess um, you know I mean it's 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 an early film I and mean, the film is only seventy one minutes long for Pete's sake. Um, it, it almost feels like an expanded short film at times. Uh, but but again, it's 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 a film with you know noir trappings. Uh, it you know deals with you know a thief character mm-hmm. uh, named Cobb. You know, oh, yeah. so uh, you know so that you know obviously plays through an Inception a little bit, um, and, and again a female character that also that exists to sort of you know play around with the, the, the these two male protagonists in the movie. Um, it, it doesn't really it, it doesn't really play upon the sort of the revenge and guilt themes uh, that the later movies do, but it does. It, it almost <laughs> in, in some ways it's, it's it's a really interesting lead into Memento for the way that that film sort of ends with the uh, a guy not you know being accused of a murder that he didn't actually commit, you know, a woman uh. that he kind of was into. Uh, so no, this- I mean, it's fun. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I will. I'm. Just, I will say this movie. I did have trouble following. No. 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 No pun intended. Literally, no pun intended. But I. Yeah. Uh, I. I had trouble following. I did not really enjoy it. I, it's something I do want to watch again because usually I try to give filmmakers the benefit of the doubt that I missed mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. Uh, especially when filmmakers prove themselves to be as good as Christopher Nolan. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's it's something I found hard to follow. I the the stuff about the voyeurism and everything I found really interesting. I always do. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we're film. I think I think you got to have a little voyeur in you to be oh, as yeah. into film. Yeah. Uh, as we are, but um, when that dropped for the more noir kind of story, uh, my interest as well kind of dropped. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's definitely, definitely my least a, favorite. A test drive. Of yeah. For it's, it's definitely it has that feel to it that it just like you see him sort of getting warmed up for things that you know editing and storytelling that he's going to explore later in his career and explore to far more interesting levels. I still I, I think it's a good film. It's yeah. not it doesn't rank with any yeah. others, obviously, but you know, as as a warm up film, it's a very interesting movie. Are you alright? You sent your voice is breaking up. Hello? Oh okay, okay there you go. You okay. sound you sounded like a, a robot malfunctioning for oh, a bit. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, We're gonna have to wrap up here. Yes, um, <laughs> already. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, yeah. We we went over our limit again. Yeah, what a shock. <laughs> but we don't care, you know. I mean, we're trying to, you know, have a set length. But hey, the conversation's interesting enough. Fuck it, <laughs> you know. And just just hope the come. audience goes along with the for the ride. So. Yes, I don't know if the audience really got that. I really like Christopher Nolan. Did that <laughs> I don't. Yeah. And I think he's probably the best filmmaker in yeah. the guy. Thank, I want to thank yeah. you. I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank Robert uh, Reneke again for sending in that a email that, yeah. that we can address uh, again. Um, I just because we addressed all of his points, I don't want it to. I mean, I'm sure he has responses to all of our responses. So, but uh, if you do want to, if you have strong feelings about a director that you know we're going to cover, all of our schedules right up on the site. Send it in, um, you know. If it, yeah, in if advance. It, if it fits, we're definitely going to, you know, address it because usually these things we have someone on who really loves the director, but we really do want to try to explore all sides of, you know, public perception of the director and what people feel and yes, why ins- people feel that. I, we want you to incept yeah. us yeah. with your incept ideas. Us. Can you be original us? though? <laughs> you gotta have imagination. Yeah, very true. Um, we want you to. Uh, Sometimes you got to think a little bigger. We would mm-hmm. love if you insomnia. All right. If you, no. if you cured our insomnia. It's not working, man. No. No. It made, to be fair, it made as much sense as Jim saying incept, Inception. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, but no, seriously, Eric, uh, thank you again for being yes. on. Yeah. Thank er- Eric, you Eric is one of the best writers, one of the smartest guys I know of about film he uh covers the film festivals like nobody else that i know speaking so, of which he will be at tiff uh, yeah I'm, i imagine you're going to be writing for e-film critic um yes i will be trying to cover as many films as i possibly can there and if not i'll, I'll definitely be doing uh stuff with uh, nick on wgn radio yeah and you can download those podcasts too um if th- there's there's I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure there should be a link on my webs on, on our website at directors club podcast you should check out every friday night the midnight movie reviews uh f- former guest on the show colin Suter. Eric Childress, Nick DiGiulio, they review the movies uh, Friday night at midnight, every Friday, and uh, Eric will be contributing on occasion, too, with some TIFF reviews, and I'm stoked for that. So mm-hmm. check that out. And Eric, thanks again for being on. Hopefully we'll have okay. you back on next year. Next, that would be great. Now next episode is going to be on David Mamet. Yes, that's actually going to be like in nine or n- nine days. Yeah, nine yeah. Days. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be on with Brendan Leonard, who was on for the Peter Weir episode. He was great. So yeah, it'll be fun to have him on again. Yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, he's especially into theater. Um, oh, good. And so he he knows Mamet, so that's going to be a good. Uh, again, yeah. you can follow me at Patrick Rapol uh, on Twitter. 
Follow me at Instant Jim. Visit us at directorsclubpodcast.com and please send us your emails at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, again, you know, if you leave nice reviews, you you rate it on iTunes, it really does help. It helps getting it out to more eyes. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Do that for us. You scratch our back, we'll scratch yours with content. I don't know. I lost <laughs> my train of thought there. Tried. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, so until next time, I'm Patrick Apple. And I'm Jim Laskow. Ever. I do not look like Andrew McCarthy. And I, okay, you say no. that. And, and You're Andrew McCarthy me. now or <laughs> that? Neither. Neither? He looks like Andrew. He, he doesn't believe it, but he has like the, he has, ah, you have the exact same expression. Really? Yes. Huh. I look more like Bernie, I think. Try, <laughs> try, try saying the following line. I know nothing about no Red Brigade. Terms of endearment. It's about deers. <laughs> <laughs>